Topia, Jeremy Vaney here, and thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone who has bought my new book, Urgency. For those who have not, what are you waiting for? It is now available on Amazon.com or at my CreateSpace shop through our homepage, www.paratopia.net. They're both run by Amazon. I get more money if you go through my little shop. Doesn't matter to me either way. Uh, pick up urgency. It's urgent that you do so. Ahaha, <laughs> play on words much? I think so. So, thanks again, everyone who bought it, everyone who didn't, get on it. Because this may just be the last nonfiction book I ever write. Oh yes, you can quote me on that. But make sure you put in the part about may just be, because that's my out. Vaney out. Paratopia. I'm back. Not that you'd know it from this episode, where I think I chimed in for like eh, a minute or two. But wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Ritzman, everybody. Jeff Ritzman. Hello there. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. So this week's episode is a uh, a ghost show. So I thought I would start us off with a little ghost story of my own. Go ahead. And by my own, I mean uh, friend's mother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was. Back home in Taunton, just the other week, um, I had dinner with my friend's parents. Why, you ask? I don't know, because they wanted to. Awkward? Sure, but fun. In any event, um, the mom was driving along Route 138 in Massachusetts, and uh, I think it, it was somewhere between, I don't know, 1 and 2 in the morning, um, and there was a parking lot involved. Uh, I think in the parking lot uh, off of this you know, Route 138 was this uh, woman wearing a red cloak, a hooded cloak. She had long blonde hair. She had pasty white, 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 white skin and was not wearing any shoes. And it was freezing cold out. Was and she carrying a basket by chance? or <laughs> She was going to her grandma's house, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Oh. So... This uh, flabbergasted, flummoxed, confused my friend's mother, who just kept on driving. But then when she told uh, her son's wife that she had seen this, she said, oh, that's the ghost of 138 or whatever. I mean, there's like a local legend. Hmm. And now my friend's uh, parents, and by extension my friend, is not from Massachusetts. They're from Minnesota. So they don't know any of the lore of Massachusetts. So as she told me, she wasn't like psychically prepared to see this. You know what I mean? She wasn't like, uh, or psychologically prepared to, to see something. She didn't have anything in her saying, oh, you might see a ghost if you go along this route. But sure enough, she saw what is the description of this ghost of 138. And this is not someone that I know to believe in such things, but I asked her, do you think it was a ghost? And she said, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> looking back on it, yeah, like what else could huh. it be? And she said the thing that really got her, besides the no shoes, uh, was the just the whiteness of her skin was so jarringly white. Not see through though. No. Huh. So I don't know what to make of that, but interestingly, um, friend's wife was born and raised in Rainham, Massachusetts, and so she's familiar with all of the local lore, you know, all the Bridgewater Triangle stuff and the Hockamock Swamp and all the ghost stories and all this stuff that, that even, like, I wasn't familiar with growing up. I knew about the Hockamock Swamp at some point in high school. You know, I knew that there was some, some lore around that regarding, like, giant birds and Bigfoot. Huh. Um but I didn't realize that there was this Bridgewater Triangle. I didn't know that all of there so many hauntings. I mean, so much haunted stuff allegedly that friend's wife is not scared of any of this stuff. Like, like it just seems commonplace to her. And um, I think she had some haunting shenanigans of her own. And I find that interesting, even in talking to tonight's guest, that uh, there are certain people who have, you know, they they live in hauntings and they're just sort of nonchalant about it. Yeah. So, uh, what was the name of your town again, by the way? Taunton. Oh, Taunton. I thought you said Tauntaun. I thought you, you're from a town uh, from a mythological Star Wars creature. Yeah, T A U N T O N. That's my that's my town. Wow. What's the next town over? Hoth. I mean, <laughs> hey, Jeff will hey. be here all night. I always wondered why they called it Hoth if it was cold. Why didn't they call it Colt? <laughs> Anyway, folks, tonight our guest is Scott Crownover. I just want to read his biography slightly here while Jeremy laughs ruefully and shakes his head. Scott is a former U.S. Army officer and life science major at Penn State. He relies on various pieces of scientific equipment to give indications of a haunting. He co-authored Booze and Bruise. That's why Bruise is in B-R-E-W-S. I guess if you drink enough beer, you'll see ghosts, right? Uh, and Ghost in the Museum with Patty Wilson. Scott co-founded the Ghost Research Foundation, which, by the way, was the first research group to teach at the Rhine Research Center in Durham, North Carolina. And Lilydale Assembly in New York as well. Uh, Scott has pioneered a new technique in digital infrared photography that has yielded some promising results. He's also working on a new system to hear and see EVP in real time. He's worked with Patty and the Ghost Research Foundation on a long-term project at the Capitol in Raleigh, North Carolina, with the support of the governor. Scott was featured on Mysterious Journeys on the Travel Channel in the Ghosts of Gettysburg episode, using his technique for capturing entities in the daylight with digital infrared photography. He will soon be featured on the A&E biographies, My Ghost Story, which airs early in 2011. And he will give you the exact date within the show. His website is Ghosts R Us, as in Toys R Us. Ghosts are the letter R, us.com. Very good, very, very good. But, Jeff, before we actually get to Mr. Crownover, yes. um, it behooves us to note that this is sort of an interactive show in that as the show is running, we've got the um, photographs and the EVPs up on the website uh, for people to look at and listen to as we're going through the episode, you can examine the photos along with us. Uh, so where are those exactly? Those will be um, where we have the show posted on the homepage. You will see a link 
underneath of Scott's uh, website link. And under that is going to be a page on our website where we will have the photographs laid out in order as we're discussing them and also the EVPs for you to listen to. So you can pause the show, play the EVP, and then come back and follow along. Very, very good. Well, without further ado, why don't we get to him? Jeff, why don't we? I don't know. You're the one talking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 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 Mr. Scott Crownover. <laughs> <laughs> Paratopia, make welcome, please, to the show. Scott Crownover, ghost photographer extraordinaire. Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. And Scott, I got to ask, just like uh, our guest from last week, I know this is a cliche question and all, but what was your lead-in to being into uh, into the ghost field? Um, well, it was an accident, really. Uh, a couple of friends of mine had, uh, had booked a suite at a local bed and breakfast that's about 300 years old and uh, supposedly haunted. said, hey, you want to go down, spend the night, see what we can find? It's like... Oh, sure, why not? I wasn't doing anything, wasn't really into it, so I just grabbed a tape recorder and a camera and a couple rolls of film and headed off, and I ended up taking a picture I really couldn't uh, couldn't explain uh, what was up. I took it to a 35mm long before digital, and I uh, took it to a friend of mine who is a photographer, and uh, he, I said, hey, Terry, said, take a look at this. Tell me, tell me what it is. I said, I can't explain it. There's a column of light that seems to cast a shadow. And he looked at it, and he said, I can't explain it. It shouldn't be there. And one thing led to another, and ooh, well over a decade later, here I am. So you predominantly, are you predominantly based in Gettysburg uh, for most of your investigations, or are you getting out a little further than that now? Um, actually, I'm in, in Bedford County in Pennsylvania, about two and a half hours from Gettysburg, but I do a lot in Gettysburg. Uh, Martin Nesbitt's a very good friend, so I spend a lot of time down there uh, when I can. Uh, but we've been everywhere from uh, New York to North Carolina along the East Coast. Oh, okay, nice. And one of the things that you've been, or you've become known for, I should say, uh, particularly having stuff on History Channel, correct? Uh, Travel Channel. Travel Channel, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, we did travel. Uh, it was on Travel and it was also on Discovery. They used some of the footage on there as well. Yeah, well, you've, you've essentially become known uh, for the IR photography, which is kind of a... I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like somewhat of a new system in order to do ghost photography. And uh, and from what I've seen, and you've sent me some which are on our website, and you guys can, all you listeners out there can uh, go to the show tonight. Right below where you're listening, you'll see a link that says Crown Over Photos. And if you click on that, the page is going to be laid out there uh, with the photos we're going to talk about. And Scott, why don't you tell us, like, what process did you go through at the onset of thinking about IR photography and how it might benefit this field or, or, you know, the hit or misses, how did you even come up with the idea of using this type of, of, uh, of setup? Well, um, what really got me into it was, uh, was, you know, spending a lot of time in Gettysburg and, and the park service down there is very strange with their hours. They've now off season closed the park at 7 p.m. In season, it's 10 p.m., so, you know, it really doesn't get dark till almost then. So, you know, everybody's been using night shot cameras, things like that, in infrared to try and capture this, which is great at night, but it does absolutely nothing during the day. And I just, you know, had, had a, a wild idea. It's like, well, okay, 
how can I take daylight, turn it into night, and you know, just kind of do an end run around the park service? And I thought, well, okay, let's see. If these seem to be infrared, is there a filter out there I can get that will block out most of the visible light? There is. So I, I, I got a filter, I have a digital, cam- have a digital camera, and I, I got a filter that would block out most of the visible light, slapped it on it, started playing around to see what settings would work. And uh, one cold March day, I was down there with a couple of friends at uh, Devil's Den, started taking some pictures, and later on, back at the hotel, started looking at them, and I saw these two apparitions that were on one of the shots. Now, I... I was down there just at three of them. It was cold, it was windy, and, and no one with any sense was out there. Um, even say a park ranger, everybody was somewhere where it was warm. Right. So, I yeah. mean, we knew there was no one there. We had, you know, I had people next to me looking around to make sure there was no one there. And that came up. Huh. And then after I got this, I went, wow, that, that shouldn't be there. And I started looking at it, and uh, eventually uh, I was down there another occasion, uh, with Mr. Nesbitt and showed it to him and said, Mark, you know, what, what do you make of this? And he went, whoa, this is interesting. He said, this shouldn't be there. And that's how I got into it. Uh, basically, because I wanted to take the, the daylight and turn it into night at Gettysburg just because of the hour restrictions. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to look at this one uh, photograph right now, Devil's Den IR2.jpg, which should be the first one at the top of the list for you listeners uh, following along with this. Now that shot is is purple, for lack of better description. It's purple hued all over. I'm assuming right, that's, that's the that's the raw what you get when you shoot through the the filter. Right, that is the absolute raw. And you, depending on your camera and uh, the time exposure, you'll go anywhere from pink to purple is, is what what the image will look like. And what I do, the only alterations I do is I just flip them into grayscale because it's easier for us to it, it's easier us to recognize for a lot of people that that tinge of color is just not something we're used to. So seeing it in black and white is a lot easier to, to visualize. It makes it a little bit clearer. But right. other than that, nothing is done to it. And, uh, you know, that's what you get raw. So a lot of the photos I take, um, you know, of course, I keep the original always. And uh, anything I happen to see something in it, I will then convert it to grayscale just for the ease of viewing. Okay. So when you're setting up to do this, explain a little bit about the procedure, like what you do from step one to the end. What are you, uh, what are you setting up with? Well, over the years since I started this, I've kind of, uh, kind of refined it because it's, uh, it's developed. And uh, basically what I do now, if I go out, I will have at least one person with me, preferably two, but at least one. And whoever's with me will have a video camera running. And I just let it run on. It doesn't have to have an infrared filter on. It just has to run as backup to verify there is no one in the field of view. You have to use a tripod because these exposures will go anywhere from a quarter of a second, depending on how light it is, up to a second in duration. So you obviously can't hold it and get a clear picture. The one from Devil's Den is slightly blurry just because it was a windy day and it was actually blowing the tripod itself and trying to hang on to it. Um, you'll set it up, and I take a minimum of three shots before I move it. Um, you can just hold down the tripod and hit the shutter release three times, or if you have a remote for your camera, just use the remote, and then you know you're not moving it at all. Um, what I do, what I started with, and what I still do for most of the time, is I will turn the flash off, put it on automatic, and just let the camera's brain decide when it has received enough light to form an image. 
then now you can play with it. And I've done in houses, I've done as long as 10 to 20 second exposures. They tend to be very grainy and not really worth much. So it's, it's best used outside in a bright, sunny day. And then you have someone with a video camera backing you up, filming the area in front of you. Take at least three shots before you move to, to shoot another area. And uh, what happens when you download it, you just start clicking through your series of shots, be it three, four, five, however many you've taken. And you look for any movement that's out of the ordinary. The eye will pick up a change. You know, it's just it's just like uh, if you would draw in a notebook uh, and move a little, draw a dot and move it. And as you flip through, you can see it move. Right. And that's pretty much how you look for something out of the ordinary. And then you go in and look at it closer. And and I will tell you, you're not. You may get lucky and get one your first time out. Probably not. Uh, you may take ten thousand shots, and not get one. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. What we're looking at here in this uh, in this first shot, are we talking about? Is this a single image, or is this multiple images then layered on top of each other to build up the image? No, this is a single image, and it was taken. It was taken. I think this is about a half second exposure. And you know, I can I can bring this up and tell you exactly what exposure it was. If you just give me a second here. Um, I don't try and overweight things. I don't Photoshop things. I do any of that because there's too much of that going on out there. Sure. And I try and if somebody gives me a photograph, I'll I'll look and say it's interesting because that's pretty much all I really can say because I don't right. know the conditions it was taken under. Right. I've not been there, uh, so you know it's it's really not for me to. Uh, to make a, a guess on on what it may or may not be. Sure, yeah, it, it might look good, but, you know, I wasn't there. And I know most people are honest, but there are those that will try to put one over on you. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of that happen, and it's, it's getting wider and wider now. And uh, it gives everybody a bad day when they do that. I mean, it sure. really does. Sure. Um, the, one, the one that you're seeing now was, uh, was a one-second exposure. Okay, so one second uh, on that. Yeah, uh, ISO equipment level was 100. It was a Sony camera, and it's, of course, no flash and a one-second exposure. Using okay. And the filter we use is a, is a Hoya R72. Okay. And you can get them in various sizes. Basically, the 72 means 720 nanometers, so it cuts off almost all light below that. So if you actually take the filter on a sunny day, hold it up to the sun, you'll see a red disc through it, but that's about it. Okay, and that's why you have the you need the tripod because you are having the longer exposure times. Well, what we're looking at in this, we're seeing two anomalies in this. We got one on top of Devil's Den to the right of the tree, uh, yes. which is some distance actually behind those rocks. But he is uh, he is just left of the large rock that uh, kind of looks like a crocodile's head laying there. And then down below the crocodile's uh, mouth, if that's what you want to call it, um, towards the middle left, or middle right, I'm sorry, is where we have, to me, which is the more interesting part. Because, oh, yeah, that one uh, definitely is, is more, more interesting. Now, if you, look, if you yeah. zoom in on these photos, you can see that they're slightly blurred. Like I said, that was due to the, the, the shutter from the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the one on top is interesting. It, what, there is no one there, as I said. And down below... The most interesting thing about that is, um, if you're if you're familiar with Gettysburg, if you've ever been there at Devil's Den, there's a path that leads up around the main portion of the rocks, up right. onto the top of them. Mm-hmm. And if you look through this image, this quote apparition, if you will, you can see through it 
and see the path through it. And you also see a, a shadow cast by what appears to be the legs of this apparition, yet Correct. there's no shadow of the torso. Yeah, that's what I find to be the most compelling part of it, to be honest with you. I mean, that, uh, well, that's what, that's what really threw me because, I, and if you if you know the area, there is no way that you know there was nothing in the in the photograph before this, and there's no way you can get anybody in there that quick. No, you know, if you no. if you take a if you take a filter and you put it on your camera, and you do a time exposure, if your lighting is correct, you can have someone run through it very quickly, and you can get what may look like feet on the oh, ground. Yeah. Yeah, but you know anyone anyone can do that, and it's, um, I won't even go into some of the faking that's going on out there. I'd probably end up in a lawsuit. Let's not do that. <laughs> right. <sighs> well, I mean the the fact that the body is not throwing shadow. I mean, I look at this and and I looked at it on a um, fifty six inch monitor this afternoon, and um, and I got to say, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that. If those are legs, then they are definitely casting a shadow, which is consistent with the rest of the photograph. Um, so clearly, sunlight is having an effect here, which is I found really interesting. But the other half of it is I wouldn't know how, even if you wildly flailed your torso back and forth, I don't think that you would be able to do that fast enough in one second, number one, uh, not to cast a shadow on the ground from that kind of body mass, but number two, if you were going to truly do that to make sure that you didn't get a torso shadow on the ground, you certainly would not be uh, blocking out the shadow that is in front of this apparition. So there's two problems right there that that don't make any logical sense to me. I mean, to be honest with you, this is one of the first time I can say in years that I think this is... Um, a photographic anomaly, number one. I mean, highly interesting in the paranormal realm. But just from the standpoint of photography, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't get it. Uh, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. But the guy on the hill, I mean, I, we, we can't see through him, but it almost looks like one is looking at the other. And I, I don't know from that vantage point where he would be standing. seems like it would be... I don't know, what do you think, 10 to 12 feet back off the ledge or more? Probably something like that, maybe not more. The, the rocks, they're very, it's varied as far as right behind the crest there as to how high they are because there's different levels of rocks. If you've True. been there, you can see how it, how it changes. And, yeah. um, of course, a lot has changed because of pathways and things that the Park Service has put in. So it just, you know, just that particular one. You know, and I've gone back there. I took this one, God, it's been five years ago now. Yeah. And I have been back there countless times, haven't got a thing. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, nothing, no anomalies at all in that area. I've gone over Devil's Den into the the triangular field, which is not triangular anymore since they decided to cut the trees down. Right. Um, the, the, the slaughter pen where Plum Run runs through, they call it a bloody run after the battle. Um, all those areas I've, I've tried and still haven't, come up with anything like this and huh. you know i i firmly believe sometimes you get lucky you know if you get one oh, yeah. every few years be really happy uh, because uh, you know i never thought i had anything until i downloaded these started going through them and went wait what is this right that wasn't right. there and wow uh, now you, sudden, you had a control camera running right i mean during this i mean you have yeah, I had two friends with now. We they, we weren't running video, but they were running stills as well. Okay. And well, was there anything I was at all? 
anything at all on their stuff. No, no, they were, I was the only one running with a filter, with infrared. They were running huh. standard, you know, they were running digital cameras, still cameras, snapping away as I was. But there's no one in any of their shots. Obviously, there's no one there. And we we went over their shots as well to say, is there someone we might not have seen? But, you know, standing there, looking out, you would have seen someone there. I mean, oh, yeah. it's that obvious because just because of the temperature and the conditions that day, you would want to know who was stupid enough to be out here besides us. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been out there when it's been like that. Yeah. Uh, I look at it and I'm saying, you know, what does this mean then? I mean, if we can see these things with this filter on, I'm trying to think of the mechanics of this. Like that would mean essentially that um, uh, they're part of the spectrum we can't see, number one. But the question that, that I that I think about, I mean, of course, light and it casting shadows means that obviously there's some kind of mass there in order to, to, to cast a shadow. There's got to be some some kind of something there that is actually disrupting the light patterns. Exactly. And so I'm be, real curious about that part of it. It had to manifest physically in some way whatsoever at that particular instant. Um, do they occur in just such a short time? We don't see that. Number one, the time is such a short exposure that they would happen to pop in and out. We have to be looking at the right place exactly that time to see them, or maybe we can't. I mean, I've always thought that if these exist and are visible in some way, we do seem to get luck with the with the night shot cameras in the infrared. Longer wavelength, less energy to manifest in that spectrum, perhaps. Um, right. And I always go with the analogy of dogs and cats. You know, I've got four cats running around this house, and sometimes they'll look at things. I mean, it's a, I, the house I live in is, is, is about 250 years old. Right. And they'll look at things that aren't there. And huh? I've heard things in the house. And uh, can I give a shameless plug? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, shameless plug, if you want to see the story of, of the house I live in, uh, biography, my ghost story on the 23rd, they're going to be featuring that. So, nice. anyway. Okay. Um, but, you know, dogs and cats will seem to see things that aren't there. We can't see them, but, you know, their eyesight is a lot further into the infrared spectrum than humans are. You know, we go into the 700 nanometer range, and then we start cutting off 720, 730, everybody's different. But the dogs and cats go well into the 900 range, so they're able to see things we can't. I mean, that gives them the, the good night vision. That's why, I mean, you have cats, they're up all night, they're hunters. Well, unless they're my cats, then they eat all they can during the day and flop over and sleep all night. <laughs> right. And same thing with small children that have imaginary friends. Maybe they're not so imaginary, because until we get to be about three, four years old, um, Human eyes are more sensitive to the longer wavelengths. It's only as we start maturing that we become less sensitive to those wavelengths. So, you know, little kid that has an imaginary friend, well, maybe it's not so imaginary to that child. It is to us. Sure. But not not the child. So that's, that. I mean, it's a theory. It's, yeah, and, you yeah. Know, I mean, well, that's all we got. Right? And, <laughs> and, you know, you just, yeah, everything is always theory. It's the, it's one of those things you can only gather whatever you can and try and eliminate anything possible. And whatever you have left, then that's what you've got to go with. Right. Well, the next one we got down here is, is the Devil's Den IR2, which is the black and white, which you've talked about already. That's just dropped to black right. and white so that it's easier to view. And I think uh, if you all download that, you can uh, flip it into Photoshop, zoom in, zoom out, and, and check it out. Then below that, we have Arm IR2 ENBW. 
Okay, uh, what that one is? This is yeah. uh, this is an in, I have I've zoomed in on this. The actual building is huge. Uh, this is an interesting building. It's it's located in Altoona, Pennsylvania. It's uh, it was the master mechanics building of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Uh, PRR at one time, Altoona was its largest complex. Uh, they they did repairs, they did manufacturing there. It was literally the railroad center of the world. During World War II, uh, the Horseshoe Curve, which is near Altoona, was one of the top ten Nazi targets to be taken out hmm. because all the steel coming from the west was going around that curve to get to the ports in the east coast to be shipped over. So it was a, it was a major target. But this building was built in the late 1800s, and it served a lot of uses, basically whatever the railroad wanted to use it as at the time. They were not sentimental about their buildings. It's, it was a... Uh, an office for the master mechanic. It held an infirmary, uh, basically a triage, because working on the railroad in the 30s, 40s was very dangerous work. You had a lot of steam engines. You didn't have the diesel engines coming in, and uh, a lot of nasty injuries, limbs being lopped off, uh, burns, very severe. And this building is um, is now a museum, and. Uh, I was there one day, and I was out on one of the rail cars in the yard. They have a display of, of rail cars in the yard. And the, uh, as you see this picture, on the, on the far right of the photograph is, is one set of doors, and you'll see something on the left set of doors. Somebody, it looks like somebody's standing there. And nobody was there when I took it. And I was fortunate at the time, uh, the gentleman who was running the museum at the time, Scott Sessman, was standing inside the set of doors on the right talking to a friend of his, and he was facing outward. And I, I verified with him because there was nothing else I picked up except for this in the infrared. And again, I've changed this into uh, into black and white. Other than that, nothing has been done. I've zoomed in. You would you would see the hue, the whole building, and it would be very small. So I just zoomed this in, so it's a little easier to see. Right. Um, you can see the size with the trash cans there and the railing. So it's it's someone maybe about uh, five to five three tops. Um, and Scott was inside looking out, and this was the second photo I took in that session. And when I looked, got, him, got him back home, and I downloaded him, looked at it, and I went, whoa, that shouldn't be there. And I went back next day and showed it to Scott, and I said, Scott, you were in there whenever I stopped and talked to you and went out to the car and set up. Um, I said, how long were you there? He said, oh, I was there for a while. He said, I saw you setting up, taking pictures for a while. I said, okay, so you, you did not see anybody come by in the platform or come in or out of that building at all. I said, I did not, I did not get anything else but this. He said, no, I was standing right here at the doors. I, the only person I saw was you standing in the railroad car out there with the, with the camera and tripod. So no one was there at the time, yet this showed up. And uh, this building has a huge history of hauntings from the, from the time it was being renovated. It literally was a shell and it was totally gutted and then turned into a very modern museum inside with its displays. And there have been reports of, of footsteps, seeing full-bodied apparitions in the building, uh, music coming from places that, that shouldn't exist, uh, and music that shouldn't exist in this period of time. Hmm. So it's a, a the big band music playing. And, of course, there's no station radio stations that play big band music, and obviously no radios there. Right. So just uh, a whole lot of I could spend I could spend hours telling you just the stories there. Well, let me ask you something about the um, about the shape of this form itself. I mean, number one, what I find really interesting about it, if there's doors there in that black, I can't see them. Number one, um, which I think is interesting. And this one, I have to admit, I haven't looked a lot at, but I can only 
I can only slightly see, I'm, now that I'm looking at it closer, I can slightly see the doors behind him. That looks like four panes of glass that I'm seeing behind each Yeah, you have two, you area. Got two sets of double doors there. Each door has two panes in it. And, uh, and one is the entrance, one is the exit to the museum. Uh, and he, see, he seems, ad- yeah, I mean, he seems as dense as the wall. I mean, he seems as, as, as the same tone as well as the wall. Um, and unfortunately, he's in shadow, so there was no way of, of determining if there's shadow being cast or not, uh, just yeah. because of the overhang and the, of the uh, platform there. Well, and what's interesting is if you come off of, we're viewing him from the front, so let's just say our right, he's got a very interesting shoulder portion that comes down and seems to almost look like a, uh, um, like a duster or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Coat. And, and also, yeah. also the hat too. That seems to be wearing. Uh, it seems to be wearing some type of hat too. A yeah. small hat. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, but I mean, other than that, that's that. And again, I was far away from it, and this is zoomed in, so there's not a whole lot of detail except it's uh, human in shape, and it it fits the the size. Requ- I mean, size requirements of a human being in that place. Mm. Is what it fits, but yet there was no one there. Um, that's now is, it, really is this as I long as? Is, I'm sorry. Is this as long as an exposure as the other one? Um, this one, I think, because of the sunlight, I think this one was closer to half a second. Okay. They do vary. Uh, it, it all depends on the amount of sunlight you have and the angle of the sun to the camera. Let's see. Okay, this one was point seven seven seconds, so just okay. over three quarters of a second. Hmm. Curious, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest. I mean, if he's wearing, even if he's wearing lighter clothes than the background, I don't see him being that bright. You know, I mean, that's. I don't know. I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, how bright would he be if he was wearing white? I, I mean, I suppose if he was wearing white, you'd get some reflected light from the ground out in front of him. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like his light source is is the light source that we're seeing in the picture, which makes it more interesting to me. Yeah, he just doesn't seem to fit there. I mean, he's there, no. he doesn't seem to... It's not like it's it's a person there. Yeah. It, yeah. it just... And again, this, you know, these are, these are taken... Uh, I don't know how many thousands of shots in between just to get, you know, what's there, because right. they are... Uh, they are so rare. And... Uh, how many have you gotten think, over the years? Total. Uh, total that are that are two really decent, yeah. less than half a dozen that really? are really decent, and that's okay. So I'm I'm averaging maybe one decent one a year. Okay. If if that so and that's and that's I don't know how many thousands of photographs to get that. You know that's you know you can't you couldn't really do this with 35 millimeter infrared film unless you were had the money of, uh, of Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah. That's stuff's notoriously dangerous. Yeah. And have it, and have it developed. You're just, you're just not going to be able to do that. It's, it's well, yeah. Well, even, get, even getting it, I mean, even getting it at all. I mean, by the time it's shipped to you, you're lucky if it's not destroyed. I mean, that's right. Stuff, because so it has to, be kept, has to be kept cool. You have to keep it cool. There's not many labs that process it anymore. Right. Without digital cameras, this wouldn't even be an option. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, if we go to the next one, which is called Crop 2. Okay, this one is interesting. Now, this was a, 
this was not taken in the normal way. Um, I used this in a, with a different camera. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, taken with the filter on, and it's, it was taken with a Sony H9, which had the night shot mode on it. Oh, okay. So I put the filter on, and then I flipped it in night shot mode. So I have a, a much shorter exposure time being inside. If I were to try to do this outside, it would just white it out completely. And this is a quarter of a second exposure. Again, tripod. Now, what you're seeing, you're seeing uh, an image in the distance, which is the gift shop. Okay. The gift shop was locked. Uh, this time, they didn't have, when we got in, we had the keys, but we didn't have the keys to the gift shop. Uh, we're very, the, the staff is very good to us. They'll give us the keys to go in and, and do what we want to do, but they had the gift shop locked that day. And, uh, I just started setting up and, and taking taking shots, and uh, I really wasn't expecting anything because we were just getting started. I said, all right, let me just crank a few out here. And we took this shot, and again, this is enlarged. Uh, I've zoomed in on it. The, the actual picture is much larger. I just zoomed in so you could actually see something there. Um, you'll see there are doors there, and, and uh, that's the gift shop. Now, there have been... Uh, Instances in the gift shop of things being moved off the shelves to, and stacked on the floor after the staff has left and locked up. They come in the next morning, find things moved around. You know, books and things will have been off the shelf and sitting on the floor. And uh, so when I looked at this, went, whoa. Okay, when we went back and we tried to figure out, we, we started running the distances. And then we were able to determine exactly how far back in the gift shop it was just based upon having people try to replicate this in the daylight, which, of course, the, the tourists there thought were absolutely nuts, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it was interesting. But um, this, was, uh, this was done inside, and, uh, again, the only difference is a different camera, and I was using – I had the filter on, but I had it in night shot mode. Hmm. And that way you can take – otherwise, if I would have had a normal camera without night shot – uh, this would have been a 10-second exposure or more to get something, to get enough light to, to form it inside. Okay. And, but with the night shot on, kicking that hot mirror out of the way, uh, it was down to a quarter of a second. Now, was this in complete darkness or dim or what? Uh, this was, uh, it, the daylight was, was going down. Uh, sun was going down. We got in there just uh, after they had closed up. So there's still okay. some light coming from outside, and there was some ambient light. In the building, okay. Around a few lights here and there in the lobby that we had on, and uh, it was not completely dark, so there's still lights on in there, and you could see some glare of the lights off glass and things like that, and reflections. So we hadn't even literally, like I said, we'd just gotten in there and started unpacking, and hadn't really got it, gotten anything started yet. Okay. And I just took a few, and we moved on. Didn't get anything else the rest of the night, but then when I, you know, dumped the photos and started looking, went whoa. Huh. So it was very much of a surprise. I was not really expecting anything just because we were just kind of hanging around and getting ready to start rolling. Right. Any idea what the uh, the hot spot is, like right literally in the middle of his face, a.k.a. his neck in that area? Um, my guess is it's one of the lights reflecting off the glass from overhead uh, because there are. this is the lobby area. Okay. If you were to walk into the museum, uh, if you get online and look, uh, go to railroad, I believe it's railroadcity.com, uh, they have a, a little virtual tour of the museum. You can see as you walk into the main lobby, uh, there is a, a reproduction of the front part of a steam locomotive 
facing you, like it's coming out of the wall, and to huh. your right is the uh, is the desk, um, the greeter's desk, and to the left is the ticket booth and the gift shop, and then you have uh, to the right there's the ele- bank of elevators, the elevators there, and a theater, and you can also take the stairs up to the second level. And it's, uh, there's what they call the bridge, so that the lobby area is actually two stories high except for this walkway across. And uh, there are lights up there beneath the walkway that illuminate down into the lobby area. And my best guess, I mean, as much as we could try and recreate it, um, you can see there are some other lights above, some other reflections above in the picture. My guess is it's some of the track lighting coming off that, off the bridge that, that is above where it was taken okay because because we are looking through glass and uh that's why you get a lot of light there and a lot of that is 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 some of the glare from the the overheads that were on at the time we hadn't shut anything down normally we get in there once we get set up we'll bring all the lights down and then go from there but at this time like i said we just gotten in there and really hadn't begun anything yet we were just unpacking the cases and all of a sudden there it was well, what are you? Uh, what are we talking about as far as floor in that area where the figure is? Is that a linoleum? Is that tile or what? Uh, now it's carpet. Okay. At the time, it would have been hardwood. Hardwood. Okay. Uh, in you know when it was in use as a, as the, the master mechanics building, most of it's place that they would not have had any carpeting at all in there. Now. The actual floor where we're at, where it was taken as you walk in, is hardwood. But when you get into gift shop, it's a, it's one of the thin thin carpets. Okay. Um, and there are there's carpeting in some of the other hallways on the fourth floor where the staff offices are and things like that. But at it in its time it was actually used as building. Of course, there would have been hardwood floors. There would have been no carpeting. That would have been too expensive PRR to put in and too hard to clean. Right. Well, if I'm not mistaken, and you've looked at this photograph probably, no doubt, hours and hours longer than I have uh, for years, but, um, you know, I, again, I'm seeing what looks like reflection from his feet coming forward uh, on the floor. Yeah, and there and, is light. Yeah, it's almost like there's, like, his, like the lights bouncing off. And there are light, and like I said, there's lighting all over the place at the present time when this was right. taken. So, um, Trying to duplicate this was very hard. Um, what I couldn't understand is why it looks like there's a lot of glare on the floor because it's carpet. Huh. Okay. And I wonder, that, was, uh, was it always carpet? I mean, no, obviously that, not. That's the I mean. thing. Exactly. At one time, of course, it was all, it was all hardwood hmm. um, just for ease of maintenance and cleaning. And... Huh. Uh, Again, it, it fits in with the with the stories that have been collected from the staff over the years of, of where they've reported incidents and things happening. So it does interact with with the reports of something happening in the area of the gift shop now. Wow. Okay. And and any chance of this being a reflection of anything, or I don't know, uh, yeah. a stand up? You know, that was my first. That was yeah. my first thought, and. Uh, we went up to the doors later on and uh, closed them up when we went back in, checked with the staff. They had no cardboard cutouts or anything like that. We shut the doors, tried to get the lights as much as we could, tried to recreate everything we could and just couldn't do it. The only way we could get anything even resembling that was to have someone standing in the gift shop about uh, two-thirds of the way back 
mm-hmm. along along the wall back there, and that's the only way we get something that would even get close to that. Yet, again, everything was locked up, and there's no staff in there that night. So um, there's really no way anybody could get in the gift shop. I mean, had had we been able to even get into the gift shop, the alarms would have gone off because right. it was locked. And then, you know, I just don't want to pick their locks and go in there. That would just, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, they get a little upset over things that, like that'll that. That'll put you out real quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you know, I, mean, I just go, if I got keys and it opens, it, that's okay. <laughs> but if you got to pick locks, you know, they, they tend to get a little miffed. Yeah, this is frowned upon. Uh, well, what, what, what are you thinking about as far as height on him? Uh, like, I'm thinking, looking at distance, probably like five seven, five eight, something like that. I mean... Um, best guess, somewhere somewhere in there, uh, maybe 5'9", tops not real tall. Hmm. Uh, just kind of figuring from having somebody stand down there. Again, it's just it's very subjective because you're trying to put somebody in there to duplicate it, and there's really not a way to do it completely accurate. So if we get within a few inches, I'd be happy. But he's not. I mean, he's obviously not going out for the NBA anytime soon. No, no, no. I mean, and clearly, what's what's odd is it looks like he's clearly walking either away from you or towards you, and I'm thinking more towards you. Uh, that was my thought, but again, it's it's so far, and there's so much uh, light clatter, light clutter in there that I can't really say for sure. Yeah, I, my first guess was looking towards or coming towards, but then that's I don't know if it, that's just my imagination or what. And I tried yeah. not to make, read too much into it except what I can actually see. Yeah, I mean, I would look at it and say either a he's walking towards you, or that foot that's coming towards us is the longer of the two, of course, with the outstretched leg is actually on the ground and that's the, he's facing the opposite way. We're looking at his back and he's looking towards whatever I'm assuming it looks like there's window glare on the floor down there on the right. Um, that he could be leaning up against that wall. Cause it clearly looks to me like his, his left arm, if we're looking at it from the back, that his left arm is, is outstretched against something um, or, or leaning against something. At least that's what it looks like. I mean, there's a lot of grain, so it is hard to tell. Uh, yeah, and again, that's that's due to the. I, I did blow that up just for just. Oh, sure. So you could otherwise. I mean, you'd have to zoom in yourself to see it. But yeah, um, just looking at it, and we tried to run the numbers, and with the glare and the lighting there, and with, there is a lot of glass in the area, so a lot of the light is you're getting light bounce off the glass and things like that. So that kind of obscures some of it. Right. Uh, but there's no way it could be anything but someone in that gift shop or something yeah. in that gift shop at the time, and the doors were locked up and no one in there. So, and you say this is—he would actually be on the other side of glass from you. Yes, yes, he would have been. Uh, if you see, you're looking at the doorway there. Mm-hmm. You can see like the arch above it. Uh, there's actually a double doorway that leads into the okay. into the gift shop. And he would have whoever or whatever this is would had to been beyond that on the far side, deep into the gift shop. Huh. So, is there any chance that the uh, that the hot spot is your IR illuminator, or not? Uh, no, no, because I had I had flipped it on to I would just flip the hot hot mirror out of the way, so I was using okay. just a night shot, and I had the uh, lens hood on, and that blocks the uh, IR illuminator in the camera. So, huh? That is that um, is the most curious. One for me, as far as that light. My best guess is the light, the light that that we're seeing. And see, the the other thing is, um, when we thought about, okay, is it a reflection? It's like, well, if it was a reflection of of the camera, okay, it's not a reflection because you see no tripod. Right. 
So that obviously throws that one right out the window. Now, um, the, the, the light, my best guess that light, it pierced what appears to be on the head or neck. My guess is it's one of the overhead track lights from, uh, from under the bridge hitting the glass of the door. It's okay. my best guess that I've been able to come up with with that. Yeah, yeah. Now you've um that that's all we've got on the site at present time. Uh, hopefully by the time this airs, uh, we'll have the last one, which I'm going to ask you for, uh, which is one I think that was on television. We saw that was, am I am I right that it was at the top of Devil's Den and you got somebody looks like they're wearing a slouch hat. Um, uh, yes, that was. I didn't take that one. Craig Rupp actually took that one. Oh, okay. On, uh, on uh, Little Round Top. Little Round Top, okay. Uh, top of Little Round Top by General Warren statue. Okay. And uh, you'd actually have to get a hold of him to get permission to use that because that is his shot. Okay, okay. But and, that's using your, your methodology, right? And Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He learned he learned it. He I, I I taught him how to do it and he, he was very he was very pleased with, with that shot and uh, and I thought it I thought it was really great and he, we've been trying to duplicate it ever since and nothing. Yeah. And I mean that's close, man. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's close. Um, so, I mean, we'll we'll definitely uh, send him an email. So, so listeners, you may find that on the site, and you may not. We'll have to see if we can get a hold of him before airtime. But uh, that's a pretty um, actually, unbelievable if you wanna, shot. If you want to see that again, um, mm-hmm. I know if you go to YouTube and key in "Mysterious Journeys" Ghost of Gettysburg episode, you can you can watch those segments on YouTube, and they have them on. There. Well, there you go, there you go. So check that out because that's a that's a really interesting one. Um, so, uh, have you? Let me ask you this: Your your house uh, has activity going on in it. How often are you uh, running film in there? You know, it's the house, so I really don't. Um, I don't know. It's just I guess I live here, so it's not something I really. I'm not that interested in doing. They're here. I know they're here. Uh-huh. And uh, well, it could become obsessive if I start. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah. You're, it really could, you know. I've heard things here. You know, I know. I've I've heard uh, I've heard footsteps. I've heard kids laughing, and mm-hmm. there's no, you know, there's no kids in the house. Right. Um, so you know, I know there's something here. Uh, well, you and Jeff should switch houses because he's the most haunted person I know, and he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't investigate his own house either. So no, just no, switch no. houses for a weekend. <laughs> Come up with something. Well. You know, I, I don't know. I guess maybe it just is. It's because it's the, it, you know, I'm here and it's like, you know what? They're here. I'm fine. I'm just going to let it go. I go to enough places and uh, I would probably get really bored to death out of seeing several thousand pictures in my hallway, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah. I mean, I walk back and forth it every day many times. <laughs> so. Well, and it's it's kind of disconcerting if you would get something unbelievable in your house. It's better than anything you've, you know, you've copped out of Gettysburg or or the, you know, the rail station or anything. I mean, that would be a little disconcerting knowing okay, it is in the house. It's, you know, there's I think there's always when you don't investigate it, there's always that notion of ah, it could be just the house settling. It could be just me or maybe I heard something. You can Always, in some small way inside of your head, blow it off. Uh, oh no, no! It's, but trust me, it is not the house settling. This thing is so old. <laughs> the, the kitchen has one of the walk-in fireplaces. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with the with the ironwork still in it from when it was. Wow. Uh, oh, oh, now the house has it's got a huge history. It's been everything from a 
from a general store to uh, a restaurant to a, a strip club, and which wow. <laughs> Yeah, I just think about trying to bring that back to those ordinances and things like that. They just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I'm trying to explain it's historical restoration, but no one wants to believe That's, that's right. Well, you know. I, I, are you married? <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, well then, I found out that the, that the poll was where my den is right now, and I'm thinking, oh, well, wow, hey, this is better than free HBO. <laughs> that's right. Gee. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, if you're going to Gettysburg... Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that that place has got a lot going on. I found yeah, you know, at least, you know, that the last, well, the last couple of years I've been going there more than I've ever gone in my life. Um, and I found that um, for me, at least, when I went frequently, which every weekend I was going, I mean, it's only what, an hour and 15, hour and 20 from me. So I was going every weekend and every weekend that I would go, it seemed like I would get a little bit more. And and your photography, with the frequency that you do it, I don't know what your frequency is at a particular location, but can you gauge at all based on what you have been able to get over the course of X amount of years? Is there any pattern at all? Is it completely hit or miss? Do you feel like if you went out more to Gettysburg, you'd get more at Gettysburg or be... And, and and let's ignore the fact that you know you got to go fishing to catch fish, right? So, yeah, of course you're not going to catch fish in your living room. Well, you might, but you know, uh, do, do you feel like there's a reciprocation of the phenomena to appear the more time that you put into it or not? Well, I think it's a matter of just taking enough shots and sooner. I mean, if you have an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters. Sooner or later, one of them is going to write King Lear. Right. But it's just being in, you know, taking enough photographs and taking them in the right place at the right time that something will, will crop up for you. Um, and, and Gettysburg, what everybody doesn't realize about that, and, and I always go back to Gettysburg because that's where I got really started in this, and it, it, it's a great place. Um, I love going to Gettysburg. It's just amazing. But what a lot of people don't realize is I go down there so much, and people say, well, where's the battlefield? And if we're doing some book signings at Mark Nesbitt's place, you know, they say, well, where's the battlefield? It's like, well, you're standing on it. You're in it, yeah. <laughs> you're here. You know, yeah. It's not just what the Park Service owns. I mean, you had two armies converge, run through this town. They held the town, you know, and, and you've, been, you've been down to Mark Nesbitt's. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the, the Andrew Woods house where he has, uh, he has the tourist center there. And, uh, right. That was occupied by the Georgians uh, right. during the battle. And, uh, you know, we actually did get an EVP from upstairs uh, confirming there were Georgians there. Right. You know, we said, yeah, I said, I flipped into a bad southern accent and said, where are you all from? And uh, we got a response that said Georgia, and then another voice said, yep. Huh. So, you know, it's, it's and, and when you can put it in, his, uh, in a historical context, that's, uh, that's what's really... It really gets to me then because you have a kind of a confirmation. You're backing it up by history, not just something, some mass of something there, and you don't know why. And you know, I know people go to a lot of cemeteries and take pictures, and I've been to a lot of cemeteries, and I've gotten very little there. Uh-huh. I mean, some great ghost stories um, about about cemeteries that, that you know we've actually done some work, and and it, it 
I don't know if I have time to tell the story or not, but it's, it's a great story. No, go, uh, go Cham- for it. In, yeah, we got in time. In Chambersburg. Um, this, uh, there's a ghost story about, uh, about a cemetery in, in Chambersburg, Cedar Grove Cemetery, and people were reporting seeing a Confederate ghost in the cemetery. And they couldn't figure out why. Well, uh, Patty Wilson, who founded Ghost Research Foundation with me, um, she's got like 15 books out on ghosts and hauntings. Uh, her and Larry Phelps, who uh, does some tour guiding for Mark down there, and he lives Chambersburg, got to the story, and they were wondering, okay, what's behind it? Well, they started doing research. Ten years to put the story together. But as it turns out, there was a, a Confederate, uh, Confederate colonel, a uh, Benjamin Carter, the 4th Texas, he was mortally wounded at Gettysburg uh, on the slopes of Big Round Top. And uh, he ended up in Chambersburg, and he was he was dying. And a, a doctor from Chambersburg had come to Gettysburg to tend to the wounded and took him back to Chambersburg and knew he was going to die, and his last request was to have a, a Christian burial. Well, uh, now, this was not a good thing for a Confederate to ask for in Chambersburg, considering it had been burned once already and was going to be burned again. And um, the, the citizens would not allow this to happen. Well, one of the prominent citizens, his name was A.K. McClure, he's actually a friend of Lincoln's. He said, you know, if you don't do it, I will deed a portion of my property to his family in perpetuity, have it consecrated, and have him buried there. Well, finally, someone came forward and said he can have my plot in, in the cemetery. Well, the church expanded, and they had to move some of the graves, and it was moved to Cedar Grove, and he ended up as one of the unknowns in this plot. <sighs> and uh, it never recognized until they tracked this down. They finally tracked down that the only one that could be left there was Colonel Benjamin Carter, the 4th Texas. And it, 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 it took 10 years, but they put together all the information got it to the Sons of the Confederacy, and it just spiraled out of control from there. And, and Patty and Larry did phenomenal work. And last, last spring, it all came to a head. They, they had a, a, a new stone made, recognizing that that is the final resting place of Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin F. Carter, the 4th Texas. Uh, the Veterans Administration has recognized it. Uh, Governor Perry of Texas sent a flag that was flown over the Capitol up to be draped over the stone. Uh, there were a hundred plus Confederate reenactors there. They fired the volleys. They had a bagpiper play Amazing Grace. It was just an incredible ceremony. And, uh, he hasn't been seen since. So (laughs) Colonel Carter finally got his resting place. And it was, and it all started with a ghost story of a ghost scene in the cemetery. So yes, some cemeteries do have, do have ghost stories. Now, frankly, if I'm dead, I'm not going to be wanting to hang out in the cemetery. You know, there's a lot of other places I'd want to hang out at. <laughs> right, right. I mean, do you have any, uh, I don't know, on this show, I think that, I mean, we predominantly talk about the UFO phenomena a lot. And uh, and we don't subscribe to, I, I would say, the, the common threads of extraterrestrials or all of that. In fact, we question it more than most people do, I think. And so we're looking for alternative uh, threads to pull on with a mystery like that. Uh, it's been around just about as long as ghost stories have. Um, what are your thoughts on what the root of this phenomena is is it what they talk about with residual uh is it uh 
the souls of the dead? Is it a you know a manifestation of our own consciousness that is expecting to see something and therefore it manifested somehow one way or another? Uh, or are you taking pictures of people who are completely out of time? I mean, that's to me is the more fast. It would be boring to me almost if it was the souls of the dead. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it it almost seems like with a lot of these things that uh, it is almost a. We've had David Roundtree on the show to talk about this a little bit, where you have uh, evidence of what he calls a wormhole. Uh, opening up and paranormal activity happens, and it doesn't happen for very long. It does; it's fleeting. Um, it, it's barely measurable, but it's there. And so he feels that this is some sort of equivalent of uh, a time dilation. Uh, so I'm curious what your thoughts are after all this time in this and taking the photographs and seeing it in your hands, knowing you know what you've got here. Um, what are your deeper thoughts on what you think the genesis of this whole thing is? I think you would have to take it really on a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. because every story is different as to why it may or may not occur. It may be somebody thinking they see something. They may be going there. It may be just simply a, a, a stone recording. Something triggers it, and it replays. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, Mark had told me a story once from Gettysburg, Mark Nesbitt, he was out at the Daniel Lady Farm, which was a Confederate field hospital. And the southern-facing room was the operating room. Well, he had been there, and uh, he had left, and uh, one of the, care- the caretakers at the time said, Mark, get out here. You have to see this. And I've seen the pictures. He went back out, and there's this red liquid on the floor. And uh, he couldn't believe it. So he takes pictures of it, and... He just happened to think about it. He he had a he had a handkerchief and he dipped some of this liquid, dipped it in the liquid, put it in a plastic bag, took it with him. Gets back to his place in Gettysburg, gets another call, says, You gotta come back out now. He goes back out, it's gone. It's not there. This liquid is not there. And it's like, okay, was it wiped up or what? Well, he did a nice little touch with a finger and there's a very, very fine layer of dust on the floor. So obviously it hadn't been wiped up. And uh, then uh, he and his wife, Carol, it's like, okay, the sample, is it still there? So pulled it out, and it's still in the handkerchief. Well, they had it tested. came out as human blood. Right, right. How was it there? Was that an out-of-time incident? Something was left there? Just, a, again, a wormhole, something like that? That's yeah. very intriguing when you actually have something physical come back. And there's a lot of stories um, that uh, that get into those kind of incidents where where you'll have some type of physical object left from from a sighting or or from a haunting that, that wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Mark mentioned the um, the two guys in Gettysburg who. I don't know. Ran into. I think they were. Were they reenactors? I think they were. Oh, who were handed yes, the, I know the, the bullets? I mean, by somebody and said, you know, rough day out there, boys. You know, and hands them some rounds and the rounds date to what they're supposed to be, and they look like they're brand new. I mean, it's um, stuff like that. Is 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 what's really intriguing to me in that respect. I mean, provided that um, that that you know. There's something we can't deny here about any of this stuff is that uh, you can get hoodwinked 
and and it happens and uh and people do pull fast ones but you know when you're talking about blood on the floor <laughs> you know that that is there one minute and then, and then a little bit later it's not and there's a, a level layer of dust on the floor and no stain which i think he told me after the show i i had asked him was there a stain there and he said no there was nothing it was like it would never had never been yeah. there I mean, there, there are there are stains there from the battle that are there, but oh, where yeah. this was was gone. But um, something like that is just totally, totally strange. Um, Patty, my partner, she she's written. I mean, if they're she and Mark wrote uh, the big book of Pennsylvania ghost stories together, uh-huh. hardback volume, the largest volume of Pennsylvania ghost stories ever published. And if it's uh, literally, if there's a ghost story in Pennsylvania that's that's been heard or told, it, it's in that book. Uh, the two of them put together a huge collection. I oh, I forget how many stories are in it, but it's it's huge. And uh, I, I'm just you know I was just amazed through all the stories I didn't know when I when I read it. And uh, you know I I've been doing this for for a long time, and and there's just so many so many different kinds of stories. Yeah, you know just just. And it's it's strange because you know people think you have to see one. Well, but you don't always. Odds are you're not going to see it. You're probably going to hear something before you see something. As, as far as the number of stories and and cases looked at, you're going to hear some type of noise or you know, be it a footstep, be it something out of the ordinary before you actually see something. You may smell something too. Smells are not are not uncommon either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only a very few that are, are visual. And what's what's interesting, um, you know, Marcus collected a lot of stories, and I think he said about ten percent or so are visual in Gettysburg. But he's done a lot of work in Fredericksburg too. He said, but down there, he said about fifty percent are visual in Fredericksburg. Hmm. Now, what's the difference? Two major battlefields. I mean, Fredericksburg, huge, huge Union loss. I mean, fourteen charges up. Marie's Heights, and they never even got to the stone wall, right? And they're just shot down. So you have this huge mount, and of course, of the about 400 buildings that were there, I think about half are still in Fredericksburg. But the one thing that that, that Mark pointed out, and I went right the difference between Gettysburg and Fredericksburg, the Rappahannock River running right through it, right? A huge mass of water. Does that have something to do with it? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just because when you look at the difference in the types of of, of experiences people have, huh. so I'm, um, you know, there's there's just so many different different things people see and observe, and you know, one person could see one thing, the other person standing right next to them doesn't see a thing. Yeah, well, so that that is, runs it, to ufology too. I mean, that's the same type of 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 you know, reaction that some people get out of it. Some people will see identically the same thing in the sky or on the ground or what have you, or in a house for that matter. And somebody else will see either nothing or something completely different. Um, um, for, for UFOs, uh, what you, uh, sometime if you want to, uh, get a hold of Patty Wilson. And uh, she just came out with uh, UFOs in Pennsylvania, uh, pretty uh, much. Nice. Uh, and she got some of the... the Best researchers in Pennsylvania that have been doing this for years opened their files up to her to this book to do all these stories of these UFO encounters and sightings in Pennsylvania. Excellent. And uh, it's a Stackpole Books just came out and it's it's a, it's a great book. Excellent. Um, she's much much more familiar with that than I am. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Ever caught anything in the sky with uh, with the infrared stuff? I mean, ever? No. No, of course, I've really never pointed it up. I've always kept it down mm-hmm. at the ground. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I would or would be able to with the infrared. Uh, yeah. Who, who knows? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, you had said maybe. to me, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, I mean, give it a shot. Um, you had said to me on the phone uh, this past weekend, I had asked you, do you get any kind of inkling when you get a good photograph? I mean, when you look back upon the hits that you have gotten, uh, I mean, is there any feeling whatsoever past being a little spooked out or a little creeped out? And maybe you're not creeped out by this point. Um, but do you have any, is there any change in the atmosphere? Is there any physical change that you feel or, um, uh, you know, massive temperature drops or anything like that that kind of coincides with when you get a hit on the photographic stuff? For me, no. I, I don't feel anything. Um, you know, I have been places where I've felt the temperature drops. I've never gotten any corresponding photographs to go with it. Mm. You know, I've, I've seen changes in the, in, you know, in the area around me, you know, be it whether it's a temperature drop or an electromagnetic field change or a radiation change, something like that. But when I take the pictures, I'm I'm not dealing with anything else but the camera and the tripod, and that's it. So I, you know, unless unless something comes up and smacks me in the back of the head, I'm not going to notice it. Yeah. And I'm just I just go out and set it up and just start randomly taking shots and you know fill up a car and start again and mm. uh, and it 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 really and and I got to tell you anybody that wants to try this it it gets really boring trying to go through all these photographs. Because you've got you know three, four, five sequence, and you're just trying to go through them time and time again to look for something out of place. Right now, when you've got six photographs to go through, that's pretty easy. You go with six hundred or twelve hundred to go through. Then you're just like really ripping your hair out. And, <laughs> yeah, and you don't do it once. You have to do it four or five times till you're sure there's nothing there. Because right. a lot, I've gone through things and I've missed some the first time around and come back now. Obviously not as as good as the Devil's Den shot or the one in the museum, but uh, just a, a small, I got uh, a figure in the distance in Gettysburg up above Devil's Den and the field behind it up in Halleck's Ridge, just in, and it was strange, it was very far and it was moving in, it's almost like it was a figure bent over in one shot and then the following shot, it's upright and then it's gone. Huh. Uh Tourists there? No, nobody was there. But it was so far away, and it, it, it took me several times to actually saw it. Uh, something similar down in Fredericksburg, down near the uh, the sunken road. Uh, Mark Nesbitt was with me then. He was spotting for me. And we obviously, there's no one out there in the area I was taking photographs, and it wasn't until I got back to his place and uh, started going through them. I said, take a look at this, and it looks like there is a soldier standing down there, almost at a, at a present arm. Huh. But it's again, it's very far in the distance, so it's not that real jumps out at you right, like Devil's right. Den shop, but it's there. And that's most of the ones that I get, uh, they're small like that. They're very faint and in the distance. And I really, you know, I keep them, but I really don't use them because they're very hard to see until you actually sequence through them. Um, yeah. So you would say Devil's Den is your best shot then? I mean. Uh, Devil's Den is a very good shot. Uh, the Railroaders Museum, I, I like mm-hmm. that. I have one uh, one from a place called Jean Bonnet Tavern in uh, in Bedford. Um, 
It's uh, it's 300 years old. It was originally a an abandoned French fort uh, used French during the French and in, previous to the French and Indian War when when Central Pennsylvania was controlled by the French, and uh, got one of what appears to be a woman in the window there, and and I, I knew the owners very well, so I I gone down there when they're still closed and played around and was outside and snapshot and there right in the window was what appears to be a woman looking out. Um, that was, that was a a decent one. Um, but it's, it's really hard to get those good ones. And I don't, I, I don't even know how many thousands of photographs I've taken trying to, you know, get something like that devil's den shot. It it just doesn't happen, and you know I get a lot of people who've been trying. Uh, you know, after I started, they wanted to learn about it, how to do it, and uh, it's a uh, it's just sometimes frustrating for them because they go out and go out and take pictures and pictures and pictures, and they're not getting anything. And it's like, well, that's the risk. You may uh, yeah. not get anything. Yeah. You may never get anything, but then again, you may go out your first time and get something. It's it's just hit and miss. Now, if you if you want to do like the 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 do it light, get uh, get your camera traps, your your trail cameras that have the infrared feature, and set them up someplace in a room, and let them go all night long. And if something's there, it breaks the and it breaks the uh, the beam. It's going to fire off uh, an infrared shot, and you you'll get something in the camera. And right. uh, that's that's happened before. Uh, actually, if you you've been to to Mark's place down in Gettysburg, I get a very strange picture in the attic of the Andrew Woods house. I'd set the camera up up there overnight. I was staying there, and uh, I, I said, Mark, I said, well, I said, I can tell you one thing. You have a squirrel in your attic, which it did catch a squirrel in his attic. <laughs> right. And then there's another in this massive light that I just couldn't explain, uh, uh, taken several minutes after that. And mm. uh, Mark probably got one of the best ones I've seen with the trail camera out at the uh, Cash Town Inn. We were doing a weekend out there, just and it's, it's about nine miles west of Gettysburg. Uh, it was AP Hill's headquarters. Right. And um, we've been doing a weekend there and set. Uh, I set mine up in the dining room and Mark set his up in the tavern area. And we left, came back the next morning, started checking them. And on Mark's, you can see Jack, the owner, he's closing up and he does it the same way all the time. And nine minutes after he's locked up, there is this, what looks like a human-shaped apparition walking through the the uh, the tavern area, right? And that was on the trail camera, and uh, it's like, whoa, okay, that's not Jack. Yeah. It's like Jack, you when you left, you left, right? He said, well, yeah. He said, you people kept me here too late. I went off to bed. Yeah, I think and, that's one uh, of the ones they sent for me to to do an exam on, and, and I went through it, um, which was that shot, and and they sent me both him walking through frame and him yeah, not walking yeah, through frame, and something there, and yeah, I can't, I don't know, that's. Uh, that's a curious one. I mean, um, how, now, obviously, your method has been out in Mark's book for a long time, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, I think he put it in... Um, I think it was the field guide to uh, Chancellorsville and Fredericksburg. He put, it, he put a section of that in. Okay, so it's been out in public view for a while. And, and this is the last question for me. I want to chuck it over to Jeremy. Um, how many people have come to you if you do a talk somewhere or what have you and come up to um, you with photographs of your, you know, essentially of, of your method and have gotten a hit? And has anything really astounded you? 
I'm, I'm, well, you, you saw the one on Mysterious Journeys that, that Craig took, which was yes. really good. Um, and, of course, the, the one Mark got with the trail cam. Um, I've had some people come up with some, some photographs that uh, I really can't explain, but I haven't had a whole lot. But it, then again, um, you know, where, where I go, it's not uh, – I'll get some sent to me. And, and whenever somebody sends a picture to me, usually it, it comes through – usually it comes through Carol Nesbitt because they'll think of the Travel Channel and she gets it and forwards it on to me. Mm-hmm. And I always say, if somebody wants to send a picture, send the original one not being altered at all. I want to see all the exit information on it so I know it's not been played with. Right. And and unfortunately, a lot of people, when they send them to me, they, they've tried to clean it up or do something with it. And it's like, well, that's a nice picture. Thank you for sharing it. But you really can't comment. Because right. I don't know what's been done to it. Uh, and that's... And I try not to say yes or no unless I'm 100% sure and I know the conditions because there's just too much going on out there. Um, yeah, we do a lot of weekends down in Gettysburg with Mark and Carol and Lane and Patty and, uh, you know, with the guests at Deer Cash Town or James Getty's Hotel. And people are really interested in technique, and they will they will get the stuff and they'll try it. And sometimes they'll come back with something, and uh, it's like, well, where did you get this? How did you take it? You know, and, go, and right. they'll go on, but... But the problem is that you have to take so many photographs till you actually get one. And it, it unless you're really nuts like I am and have a lot of spare time and no life, <laughs> then it, it's just not possible to, to really take the number you get. I mean, hey, you get lucky sometimes and it works. Um, I've seen some that have come that are, that are interesting. Uh, as far as, you know, massive full-bodied uh, like that not that i can say they have come to me i mean i know there are some out there and i i don't know how they were taken where they were taken or the the specifics so i always hedge my bets by not commenting unless i get to see the original and it's mm-hmm. just you know i've been i've been burned before and i just try not to not to let that happen anymore it's just yeah. there's too much i mean what you know what you see in TV does not happen in real life, right? Yeah, obviously. you know that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy. Yes. Now for the non-technical sophomore questions, of which I only have <laughs> oh, sure. Here, so uh, <laughs> good. I'm good at those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my first one is: um, if you look through the viewfinder of your camera, are you going to see these things or not? If you flash a picture of it. Is it going to show up on picture, but you don't see it in the viewfinder? Well, uh, number one, I never look through the viewfinder. Um, I, I've got the screen in the back, and when I take them, I'm outside, and it's daylight. So to even see anything would be almost impossible. And uh, even if I were looking, uh, I I probably wouldn't. I don't think they, they are in, in uh, there long enough for me to register. Perhaps if I was looking at it, now I'll, I'll, I'll caveat that with, with a Sony night shot video camera in with night shot in a darkened area, I have seen balls of light that are not dust that have independent motion that is not, you know, it's not moving based upon air currents, but it looks like it's, it's almost ascension motion as it's going in its own direction because it's choosing to do that. I've seen that through the view, through the viewfinder, through the screen on the camera, but not outside. Um, it's just too bright and, uh, 
and I'm just snapping away. And most of the time, if it's not windy, I'm using the remote. So I'm off to the side in front of the camera. So there's so no way to make red- glasses or binoculars out of this material and just roam around with them on your face and <laughs> see see if you can actually peer into ghosts. Okay, well, here's the problem with that. Now, you can do that. And if you want to... Hello? Jeff? Yes? What happened? I don't know. I think we lost him. <laughs> Ghost world just happened. Whoops. Uh... If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Was I getting that boring? God. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I said, is it possible to peer in a ghost world? And then you said, you know, it's interesting about that. You could do that. And then, and then the ghosts cut well, you, you could, off. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. Um, no, not, you know, if you, uh, probably the only way you would be able to do that with any type of success would be to put a filter on a video camera, a night, like a Sony night shot, put a dark filter on it, like an MK 1000, which will cut you off at a thousand nanometers. It's darker than the one I use for the still cameras, but then you can turn it on the night shot mode in daylight and use it, not burn out the camera. Okay. Uh, sophomore question number two, uh, have you seen any pictures, uh, or have you taken any pictures of, uh, I don't know, what, what look like apparitions not facing the camera in just sort of odd, awkward positions like normal yeah. life? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, not facing it, sure. Um, like the devil's den, apparently that one below it is walking away, uh, the one I took, the couple of the two in the sequence I took above Devil's Den back in Hawks Ridge, and this was a different time. I uh, seems to have it bent over as if picking something up off the ground or something, and then standing upright. And then it was that was the only two in the sequence it was in. Um, the one in Fredericksburg seemed to have moved in two of the pictures. Um, this is when I started taking a lot more than just two. At the time when I got Devil, the Devil's Den shot, I was taking a, you know, doubling up, just taking two, moving on. And of course, who knows what would have happened had I taken more at the time, but you live and learn. Uh, yeah, so, but I mean, they're smaller and, uh, further in the distance, but yeah, I have got them that are not, the one, the only one that really looks like it's staring at you, I think, would be the one from inside the museum. Outside, I don't know if it's looking towards you or away from you, and I, I really can't say it, it's anybody's guess. But those are, like I said, those those ones are the ones that are very clear that are there. Uh, usually they're further away. Uh, I had at one time, when they after they had chopped off some of the trees down in Gettysburg, I had fired a sequence over towards uh, the Rose Farm, and I got something that appeared to be about the size of a person that had moved in a couple of the shots. 
nobody out there. But then again, I was so far away, and I, you know, it's anybody's guess. Have you ever gotten multiple people, or have you heard of anyone getting even battle scenes or anything like that? No, the only multiples I've ever heard of was the first one I took at the den with the one up above and one below. I've never heard of anybody getting more than one in in a single shot. And uh, not to say that there are people out there that haven't, I just haven't heard of it. Hmm. Uh, do you think if you went to the Labray Tar Pit that you would get dinosaurs? Hmm. I like them apples. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I think I asked Mark Nesbitt this. Has anyone ever gotten a dinosaur? Has anyone ever gotten anything other than uh, some sort of war scenario at these at these places or uh, any of these places that have, you know, multiple sense of history? Why is it always – it's always these war people. I, I don't understand what that is. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say always a battlefield scenario. I've gotten, you know, several at, at battlefields, but some of the ones I have had nothing to do with, with war at all. Um, the Railroaders Museum, for instance, uh, nothing to do with battle. Um, yes, obviously there were there were deaths in that building because it it was an infirmary, and if you worked in the railroad, you you were taken there, and if you lived, they ship you off to the hospital. But you know you had limbs lopped off, you, and God forbid you happened to be around a steam boiler when it let loose, you were you were literally cooked alive. Mm-hmm. When you're taking these pictures, uh, are you doing EVP as well? Me, I'm not. Uh, Mark will, if he's with me, he'll try for it. Um, but a lot of the times you're outside and wind is a factor and you have, you really don't have a controlled environment as far as noise. Yeah. Has anyone ever gotten, uh, an EVP in association with a photo that you know of? Um, not that I know of. Um, we've gotten EVP in areas where photos have been taken, but not at the same time. Well, you go to the Labrie um, tar pit. <laughs> I just want to know if I've if I've inspired you to go to go to like where there were dinosaurs. Sure, sure. Should I give you the address to send the ticket to? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Not a problem. We should I'll do that. We should do a fundraiser. Now, <laughs> we should do a fundraiser for you. I want to see dinosaurs. Yeah, send Scott to the tar pits. You know, but you want to just kind of make it. Don't tell them what I'm going to do if they think somebody to chuck me in. You'll probably get a lot of people sending money. <laughs> uh, wow. Do you hear anything that you believe uh, by way of, well, it's better to take photos at this time of year or there's more activity at this time of year? Uh, anything like that that you believe? Um, sometimes, some, you know, sometimes, yes, activity sometimes is, uh, is associated with an anniversary or much a, a, a time of year. But obviously, Chris trying to get to Gettysburg at the time of the battle is absolutely nuts. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a reenactor then. It's just nuts down there at that time. So you know the activity seems to be strange. Um, we've gone to places on anniversary dates of something happening, and yes, we have picked up things on the date when we haven't before. Now, was it just luck we happened to get at that time? Maybe, maybe not. But if you look at uh, a lot of stories out there, like I said, Patty Wilson, she is she has collected. So many, uh, she has forgotten more ghost stories than I'll ever know. Um, but she's collected so many, and you you will have a pattern on an anniversary date of something happening or or something like that where activity does seem to increase in, in areas. Uh, does it frighten you at all? No, no, dead don't scare me. The living do, however, but not the dead. Well, do you think you think no because there's this buffer that it that you it's sort of like you're 
you're the nature channel, right? You're the discovery channel going in, the objective observer looking for ghosts of war in their natural habitat. I mean, as opposed to somebody who has a poltergeist or something like that, you know, sort of terrorizing them. I mean, do you think that there's a difference there and that maybe that's the reason that you you don't have that feeling of um, getting more uh, because you're out there more? That you're not as intimately connected because there's there's that barrier, I guess is what I'm saying? Well, I think people have been conditioned to be afraid of things they don't understand. And I think that's a lot of it. You know, uh, you, uh, Patty Wilson and I founded the Ghost Research Foundation a long time ago. And, you know, it was like the paranormal 911. Somebody's got a problem. And you go out and try and explain it to them, see what's going on, look at the history of the house, what may be happening. And, you know, a lot of times they just need somebody to explain, you know, what might be going on here. Sometimes it's absolutely nothing. Um, you know, we'll go to places and find nothing. And it's, uh, it just gives them, gives them some type of comfort. There's people out there that don't think they're nuts that have been doing this and can explain what may or may not be going on. Um, you know, and sometimes it's, it's completely natural what's going on. But, uh, you know, it, it's just me. It's never been something I'm, I've been afraid of. I mean, get a spider near me and I'll take it out with a 12-gauge, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and then back to lawsuits. Uh, since Ghost Hunters, you know, there's been a ton of other shows. Um, do you know any of those people on any of those shows, or did you know them before they were famous? How How intimate a click is the ghost world? Uh, well, pretty much everybody knows everybody, and yes, I I did know some of those people before the shows came on. I really can't say which because right. I don't want to get sued. Um, Were you astounded that they a got shows, uh, and and b I mean, did did they ever talk to you and say, yeah, this is a setup, this is for TV, anything along those lines? Um, one one show I was involved with uh, when they first started, and I saw what happened, and. Uh, it was the final version that aired was certainly nothing like was supposed to be on. Um, and I'll just say this. I, I can't, I can only speak to what I saw, but remember this is a weekly show for entertainment. Any of these shows are for entertainment that are, you know, you can't, you can't go out and spend, well, we'll put it this way. The one I saw, most of what was filmed was loading on loading. And yelling and screaming. And other than that, there was really no investigation whatsoever. But I will leave it that it is it is entertainment. If you really want to do, I mean, seriously, if anybody wants to do a show to, to see what it's really like, you're going to be going back to a place a dozen times and trying to collect evidence and uh, put it together for maybe, if you're lucky, one hour. Um, when uh, I did the travel channel with, with Mark and and. Lane and, and Carol, and we did the, the Ghost of Gettysburg episode. Um, they filmed for a long time just to get 47 minutes as to what finally aired. And literally, I don't know how many hundreds of hours they shot just to get that. And when they were filming, they got some great shots, but uh, not paranormal shots. I mean, things happened. They had a great shot of a thunderstorm on a little round top, and of course, the sump pump going off in the basement of Cash Town, Scaring Lane. But what they did, they they got the information and, and the photographs we had had from before and went to the sites where we were, and, and they put it together in, in, a, in a nice fashion that, that told the story, showed what actually happened, and 
and how we do things. To do a weekly show and get something every time, it's not going to happen. It's entertainment. Hmm. Have you ever seen anything on these shows that you that did astound you and you thought, okay, that's real and that's amazing footage? I, I have seen I have seen some stuff, uh, and these are older things that, that have been around for a while. Some specials that were filmed, you know, years ago before it really went out. I, I was amazed at some of the things I had seen, and uh, it's like, whoa, I can't see how that could happen. Um, what's out there now? Um, you know, there's some there's some stuff that's good that that, that are are trying to to do it right, but you know. Not every place is haunted. You're not going to get it every time you go out, and it's certainly not on cue. And screaming and yelling, it, you know what? If if I was, you know, somebody comes into your house and starts screaming and yelling at you, what are you going to do? You're going to kick their ass out of there. Right. So just because you're dead, do you want to be treated differently? <laughs> no. I mean, seriously, yeah. you know, they're, they're still people. They just happen to be dead. Has anyone, speaking of that, has anyone gone uh, back to the old soldier diaries to see if they're talking about, you know, talk to a disembodied voice today from the future? Or, you know, of course they wouldn't say that, but something that implies that they are seeing ghosts or talking to ghosts, that would be us talking to them. Has anyone ever found that in a diary? No, not so much, but the story was, as as the as the Union is marching, as Fifth Corps is marching into Gettysburg, there was a rumor that uh, the ghost of General Washington was seen. Hmm. So, was he, or was it just a rumor that spread through the ranks? Who knows? Um, but then again, all cultures have had, have had stories of ghosts. I mean, long before TV became popular. You know, thousands of years ago. I mean, Shakespeare was one of the great writers. Look at, look at his plays. There's ghosts everywhere. Yeah, you can't swig from a tankard without whacking one. <laughs> well, it's true, but it's interesting to juxtapose these sort of ghost stories against. Uh, you know, we're we have on uh, every now and then um, a Lakota speaker named uh, Teokas and Ghost Horse who says, you know, the Lakota perspective is that. Uh, their ancestors are here at all times, you know, watching over you and, and all of that. And they interact with them. And uh, I mean, it doesn't, this doesn't seem interactive like that. Do people ever get, I don't know, Indian, Native American uh, ghosts uh, in, in the, acting in the same way or interacting in the same way as uh, these types of scenarios? Um, actually, actually, yes. Uh there is a site not too far from where I live, maybe 45 minutes away. It's a, it's a monument uh, from uh, 1780 uh, at the, just by the time the revolution was being fought, it was being fought in, in the east. This was still central Pennsylvania was still frontier, and there was still back and forth with the Indians and still a French presence, and uh, there was a massacre. Um, Captain Phillips, which he was not a captain by any means, he was just a militia commander. He and his son and nine men, they were called Rangers at the time. Um, they ended up in a, basically came down to, they ended up in a, in a fight with some of the local Shawnee. Um, they were trapped in the cabin. They, Phillips went out to parlay to surrender. And, uh, he and his son were taken to, ended up in Quebec and were eventually ransomed back. However, his nine rangers, something happened, and they ended up being tortured to death. Um, don't know why. Uh, some reports say that one or two of the of the Shawnee were hit 
possibly one of them died, and that precipitated the massacre. But um, when a monument was placed there in the early in the early 20th century, it was so well documented as to where this occurred. As they were excavating to put the monument in, they came across the remains of the, of the rangers there. So they are now in here in a crypt. Well, we've been going there for years, and uh, I had sent this one to you, Jeff, and uh, you had emailed me today about it. It is probably the best EVP I have I have ever got in in you know all the time I've been doing this. Um, we thought that, that we may be trying to photograph or get EVP from the Rangers. What we ended up, it seems, is getting an EVP from one of the the Native Americans that was there. And uh, the term Yankee is a, is a corruption, a French corruption of the of Anglais, and the Indians turned into Yankees. And then I get the term Yankee, which is how it came about. But Patty was sitting there on the wall next to me asking, you know, what do you want to tell us? And Patty is sensitive, so she has an ability to to sometimes actually see them and and know what they're saying. And and I have, uh, if I've got time, I'll run a test. I'll tell you about a test I did with her. Anyway... We get this EVP, and, and she says, what do you want to tell us? Well, the EVP, you can hear the crickets. It is so clear, and it comes back, Yankees, dead. And if we do a lecture somewhere or something like that and play that, when you the jaws of people just drop, it's so clear. I've never gotten one that clear before or since, and I doubt they ever will. Did but you take was, that? It, I, I heard it. I heard the one you're talking about. Yeah, um, uh, Patty had the recorder in hand sitting right next to me when we got it. So I was right there when it happened. And then, uh, and then like you, went, did you have the recorder afterward? Did I mean, did you take the recorder and have it on you the whole, or did anyone? Was, could there have been tampering? Is what I'm getting at because when I listened to it, I mean, I heard someone intake breath, say it. I mean, it sounds like somebody's saying it into the recorder. Could someone? Yeah, be no, there was no you? one there. No, there was no one. There was no one near us, and uh, we got that as soon as we she played it back, and I heard. I went, give it to me. And I went down to the car, flipped the laptop on, and I downloaded it so it didn't get lost. So it was it was dumped into my hard drive literally minutes after we got it. Yankees dead. And, so uh, she was in your presence. It's not like you left her alone. <laughs> you guys no, were together. No. She said this, and then you played it back. You heard that. This was all and boom, I boom, gra- boom. Yeah, I grabbed it, boom, right down to the car, flipped the laptop up, and uh, and just patched the cord in and downloaded it because we have had EVPs disappear off recorders. It's there when you hear it, and then you go back later. You have the time hack marked on it to download it, and you go back, and it's not there anymore. Why does that happen? I haven't a clue, and I admit it. I have no clue as to why that would occur. And it's happened on both cassette tapes and digital recorders. So, Can we put that EVP on the website? What's that? Can we put that that EVP on the website? Sure, go ahead. Okay, yeah, be my well, well. There you are, listeners. <laughs> go listen to it. I mean, be my guest. Yeah. Um, and Patty was trying to get this long before I long before we formed the group. So that was always been a a, a place she had gone was trying to to get something. Um, and and I says I said she is sensitive, and uh, we were at the Cash Town Inn during a weekend event, and. Uh, her Civil War knowledge is, did they wear gray or blue? That's it. <laughs> Beyond that, forget it. And she was talking to someone in the parlor named Walter. 
And I'm thinking, no. She gets the name. I said, what, did you get a last name? She says, Tay something, Taylor. I went, ha can't happen. Which Walter Taylor was Lee's aide, his adjutant. So I got back to Mark's that night, and I got online, and I got on the Library of Congress records and National Archives, and I downloaded a bunch of pictures of obscure Confederate officers that she wouldn't even know. And I found two pictures of Walter Taylor. One is a younger man, one is an older man. I put both of them in. I had nine of them, nine pictures, and two of them were Taylor. And I brought it up. I said, okay, is he the guy you were talking to at Cash Town? Is he one of these guys? And she looks at the pictures and says, points to one of them, Taylor. She says, it could be him points the other and says, well, it could be him too. Are these guys brothers? And I went, oh my God, how the hell did she get that? There's no way she could have known. So, I mean, that convinced me that she is able to do things that I can't explain logically. Hmm. What was the condition of the other EVP? Because you'd sent two. Uh, the other one, uh, that one is actually, uh, that one's not nearly as clear. It, it's, it, it, you can hear it. It is, uh, we got that one from the uh, Railroaders Museum. Did you, clean, did they, you clean either of these up? I mean, how... Uh, no, no. What I do, they are just the way I got them. Um, okay. And the one from the Railroaders Museum is a uh, is taken from near where the uh, infirmary once was. And the question was, how did you die? And I clipped. I, I this is cropped just so it's not so long. And the response was steam, steam burn. Lord, it hurt. And it's a little fuzzier, but if you listen to it, you can make it out. And if you want to put that one up, that's fine as well. Um, and of course, steam burns again were a major, uh, a major factor in in the railroad. And there's not much you can do about about steam burns now. Trust me, we had a house fire here end of January, and I got burned, and I know what it's been like just trying to get rid of. Uh, some third degree burns after two and a half months, and I can't even imagine what a steam burn would be like. Mm. What what kind of recorder did you use? The one from the Railroaders Museum was a Sony micro cassette, and the one from uh, Captain Phillips Monument, the Yankees Dead, that was an Olympus Digital. Huh. Okay. Because I, I just have a little, you know, it's probably an Olympus. It's just a little crappy recorder. But anytime I record anything on it, um, you know, it sounds mono. If there's any sort of wind, you get the sh sort of sound in the background. Um, yeah, you're always getting, you're out in the wind, you're going to get the hiss coming over the But you don't seem to have that on, the, on those recordings, so you, I, you're probably using well, a better recorder than, than my little crap. Not really, the one was inside, the, the Railroad Museum was inside, and the one was, uh, the one from Captain Phillips, there's no wind, it was a summer night, about the anniversary of the massacre, August night, um, no wind, humid, uh, air was completely still, you could hear the crickets, uh, mosquitoes were just out of control. God, I was scratching my head. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> is it a, is it stereo? Is it a stereo recorder? The one that you use no, outdoors? No, no, it's it's just Olympus One. I mean, I do have one now. I do have a Sony that's got three different mics on it. That's actually directional. You can tell. You can actually hear it when you're you can put the earphones on and record at the same time, and you can hear where something comes from from the direction. And as long as you know where the recorder is oriented, you can tell if it's coming from your front left or right. Hmm. Very but good. It's, I mean. It doesn't really doesn't really matter what recorder annual works. Um, uh, I know I know a lot of the ones the the, the Panasonics the I think they're called the DR60s. There's been a big rush to buy those because they pick up EVP a lot of it. 
but a lot of it's not clear. Um, it's just the, uh, the growling and grumbling, and it's not very clear. You can sometimes make out a word, not a lot, but you tend to get it a lot with that. And I, I think they originally sold for like forty-nine or fifty-nine dollars. Now they're going for like seven or eight hundred. Mm-hmm. At one time they're up to two thousand. Believe me, I think I could spend two thousand a lot better than. <laughs> digital recorder, trust me. Well, let me ask you one more question. Have you done video? Is there a way to trick out a video camera the same way you're tricking out your regular camera? Oh, for the infrared? Yeah. Sure. Um, you get to... Now, the, the key with the video camera is because the still cameras, you have longer exposure. Um, so, like I said, you're looking at anywhere from a quarter second to a second. Video cameras, it's going to have to have something, well, Sony calls it night shot. There are other video camera makers call it night shooting, some, something else. But it has to have a way to basically flip that uh, internal infrared filter out of the way. So you get a filter, screw it on. And I, I use I use a Sony because they've, they've just been around a long time, and it's small, and it's very easy to carry, and it's the memory sticks are compatible with my other cameras, so it's just ease of use there. And uh, you can get a filter for it. It's a thousand, which the 720 is the Hoya R72. So this is a bit darker. But you screw it on over the lens, and then you're in the daylight, and you flip it into night shot mode. And what it is now, you're filming. Everything is going to have that that night shot quality to it. It's going to be that greenish white, greenish black and white color. But you're actually filming because the camera is, is going to be, no matter what you do with it, you're going to be getting an equivalent of about 30 frames per second with your camera. So there's no way you can just put a filter on it and not use night shot. Otherwise, you're just going to get a whole tape of black. That's it. It's going to look like a black screen. But with a night shot, when you do it, yes, it will better let enough light in so you can film at that 30 frames per second rate and still get it and not burn out your CCDs in the camera because the filter's on. Now, don't, you know, don't try and flip it in night shot and bright sunlight and, and take pictures because it's going to white out, and after a few minutes, your, your, your camera, well, it's paperweight now. Does frame rate matter? I have a camera that's, that shoots in 30, 60, and 24. Uh, is 60 yeah, better? No. No. It, well, the, the, faster, the faster frame rate, the, the clearer it is. It doesn't really matter. Uh, 30 is just generally what you see in TV. Right. It's thirty frames per second, but you know but you can. Sixty is not better because it would be you'd be getting more information. Sixty will give you clearer. It'll give you more information. It's clear, and if you have a night shot, sure, um, you have that filter on. You're going to have sixty frames per second. So if you get something and you need to slow it down, you're going to have a better chance of being able to isolate it. So the more frames per second, the better chance of isolating something if you do get it. Okay. Very good. Well, Scott, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the show and yes. sharing with us your expertise. It's good to finally – well, I shouldn't say finally. There have been a few. It's good to, it's good to add to the collection of, of uh, people in Ghost World who actually have an expertise. Um, uh, you know, it's trial and error for everybody. And, and, and I, wouldn't, I would say I, I have more experience. I wouldn't say expertise because what I've learned is somebody comes up and says they're an expert, run like hell. <laughs> yeah. there are no experts there's some people that have been doing it longer and have learned a little bit more but there are no experts because we're learning all the time you know I see in TV you get these 20 something expert demonologists it's like oh really uh huh <laughs> yeah right um, 
but no, it's it's just there there are no experts, and and anybody that that has been doing this for a while will tell you that that's been investigating for any amount of time, there are no experts, and what you see in TV, it's great entertainment. It's not what happens in real life. You know, we do events and we do a lot of charity events too for people to raise money for for historical societies. So people can actually come and learn how it's really done and actually do it. They get to play with all the toys and the cameras, and and we do raise a lot of money for charity, and uh, and it's a great way to do it. And and you can hide a lot of history in a ghost story. We do things with uh, with kids, uh, junior high kids. If if they research history and do a report on it in the fall and the spring, we'll actually take them to locations, and then they get to hear the ghost stories and actually play there. So it gives them an incentive to learn. Well, give us your and, website uh, one more time so people can uh, okay, check okay, it out. Okay, the website is com, just like Toys R Us. Ghosts are with single, small r, us.com. Um, you want to check that out. Uh, we're on there. You can email us through there. Also, uh, like I said, Patty Wilson is my partner. We founded this a long time ago. Uh, you can see some of her books on there, and I'm going to give her a shameless plug because, well, if I don't, she'll hurt me, so um <laughs> <laughs> Um, she just has, uh, she's got three new books out, uh, not only the ghost books, but these are, these are new, um, she's got Totally Bizarre Pennsylvania, she focuses on Pennsylvania, because that's where we're from, which is just stories, not only of ghosts, but of strange, killer clowns, strange things like that, just really okay. off the wall stuff. <laughs> uh, there's um, a future show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want Totally Bizarre? She, oh, I'm, I'm telling you, she could, she could tell you more stories. She just did Pennsylvania monsters. I mean, not only we're not talking just Bigfoot and crypto. We got all kinds of monsters from from lake monsters to you name it. And then she just came out with her UFO book. And and I tell you, some of the, some of the best people in Pennsylvania that have been researching this for years literally opened up their archives to her and said, "Here, what do you need?" Um, but the to- totally bizarre is just really crazy off the wall. UFOs, monsters, uh, ghost stories wild pigs just stuff that is just <laughs> I'm wow. telling you, 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 would, you, would, you living together living together mass, mass hysteria mass oh, oh 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 my god and some of the some of the stories she could tell uh, cannibals you name it I mean she can find she knows parts of Pennsylvania that could pass for West Virginia let me tell you oh <laughs> There it is. You know, yeah. well, well, she'll be on sooner than later. Cause, That's right. You know, hey, you know, you read these stories and you go to some of these places, you start hearing banjos run like hell, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, that scary. You know, Ned Beatty never knew what he had coming at him, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I got to tell you, it, when she did the book, I read it, and it was it was it's like, oh, this is great. She spent years collecting it for, for her oldest son who – who, who was really into that, and she just spent all these years stories she couldn't really use in any of the, the ghost books she's done. So she just got all these really weird ones totally off the wall, put them together in one book, and it is literally totally bizarre. I'm telling you, you want to have her on, you would you would howl. I mean, she'd have you going all night long. Excellent. Excellent. Well, there you go, future guest. Yes. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for being on the show, and we look forward to uh, having you on again in the future if you'd be so kind as to come back. I would love to, and uh, thank you for uh, spending the time with me. It was it was a pleasure. Excellent, thank you, Scott. Okay, hey, you guys have a good night. You Bye-bye. too. Thanks. All right, take care. Hi, this is Mitch Horowitz, the author of Occult America, and you are listening to Paratopia.
So the Jeff. So the Jer. Lovely in springtime, are you? What? Jeff, that's what our subscribers get. They get not just the full interview, but a little song. Is that the extra content? <laughs> yes, that's, that's the bonus content. Please send all your hate mail to <laughs> cultureofcontact at gmail.com. Uh, crap. So, uh, you being Mr. Photo Video Analyst Guy, this generation's Bruce Maccabee, if you will. Oh, uh, jeez. Will you? Really? I don't know. Uh, what do you think? I mean, obviously, you, you wanted to have this man on because you looked at the photos and said, yeah. they passed my smell test. So what is it about them that passes your smell test uh, above all the others that you've seen? Well, I mean, we're looking at three photographs that we have, one at the train station, one at Devil's Den, and then one which is inside through a gift shop window. Uh, the last one we talked about, which is the gift shop area window uh, doorway, um, I find that interesting. It, and Scott admittedly said it wasn't ultra clear. Um, I think by and large, the Devil's Den is is the one to me. Um, why is it weird? The guy on top of the hill, on top of Devil's Den, let's look at this from the standpoint that we don't know. That we don't know who was there, what was there. Let's just look at it from a, a standpoint of photography. Could the guy on the hill be a person? Yes. Uh, do we know for a fact that it isn't? No, we don't. Does Scott have the data to back up his shot? Yes, he does. The, uh, the, 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 the anomaly on the ground, however, that's walking has shadows coming up from the legs, which seem to be the most solid point of, of the photograph. However, the upper torso is solid enough to, to actually block out what's on the other side of it. So even if something is moving, if it's enough to block out what's behind it and not make it transparent as a whole, it is then therefore a given that it should be casting a reflection on the ground or a shadow on the ground, rather. So that doesn't make photographical sense to me. Uh, I find that to be a really compelling photograph. And, um, and just knowing you know, the history of Devil's Den and, and the slaughter pen and Triangle Field. Um, it, it's not surprising that there should be something there. I'm, I'm like you, though. I wonder, how come not more people, you know? Um, th- that, that would be a, a curious... I mean, you've got two people there. That's, that's certainly interesting. And one does seem to be acknowledging the other. But without a really good point of reference as to where the figure is standing, how far back from the rocks, you may or may not see that figure on the ground if that were you up there you know it passes the test for me because of the shadow which i find fascinating but also that um you know i think i think scott is a stand-up guy and if he's got data to back up that there was no one there that's good enough for me to look at that and compare it this stuff is interesting to me just for the simple sake that there's not a lot of it Admittedly, he doesn't get, uh, what, one a year, he said. So I think the rarity of it seems right to me. I mean, at a certain point, you've got to ask yourself, just like with any UFO photo you see, is how far is someone willing to go 
uh, to fake something. And, you know, I don't, I don't see anything in Scott's stuff that says anything's being faked here. I think he's using the infrared um, with a long exposure, which from everything that we think we see about ghost photographs and everything we think that we know about apparitions or the visual um, part of an apparition says it's fleeting and it's see-through and it's difficult to see or it was a hint or whatever. And so a larger exposure time seems to stand to reason with what we think we might know about this stuff. That's why I think it's interesting. But I think that those shadows coming off those legs are confounding the shit out of me. I think the more um, – <laughs> uh, the questions I have, unfortunately, aren't about photography uh, and, and aren't answerable, which is what is frustrating with this. Like I don't even think the questions I have are something that we can ponder over in the same way we do you know, this UFO presence or whatever, mm-hmm. which are – What's missing? It's the things that are missing. From the EVPs, there's no sounds of horses. There's no sounds of background chatter, people talking in the, you know. Uh, if this is just recordings of something, you would think that you would hear the recording of the whole thing. You would think that whatever it is wouldn't acknowledge you and, you know, you'd say, well, where are you from? Georgia. Yep. Yeah. You know, that sort of conversation wouldn't happen. It's uh, But it's always, you know, one or two people. It's always... Yeah. Um, isolated human voice, mm-hmm. um, or footsteps, or something, some you know, isolated thing, aspect of of a scene. Yeah, a cannon shot. Like, where's I think the it was, scene? Uh, yeah. Where's yeah, right. the full scene? Right, right. And especially here, I mean, it's so glaringly obvious where you're dealing with battle. Mm-hmm. You know, or or in the case of hospitals, you know, hundreds of wounded lying on a floor. Yeah, the clank of tools and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Unless you go with what we talked about before, that that is this more than the stuff that I talked about during the interview, which was, you know, is this listening back in time? Is this, you know, is but is this a projection of our subconscious, <laughs> you know, onto tape, onto video, onto stills, whatever? I mean, is that possibly what it is is it really not the dead but are some well let's let's not put this into one box let's say it could be all those things but is part of this stuff um some sort of a a psychic projection that can actually manifest enough to get something on the tape or an image like scott who's just uh it sounds like he's just aiming a camera at random Uh places right and clicking away that's pretty distant. That's that's not taking a whole lot yeah. of concentration or you know wish fulfillment, <laughs> right? Or, or yeah. any of that. It's just point and click. Automatic. Let's see what yeah. happens. Yeah, it's automatic. So there's he's not he's not emotionally or personally invested in what he's doing in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know why you know if it's true that we could manifest things based on that sort of investment. Um, well, he's getting the better shots than the people who are. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So what does that tell you? Yeah. You know? Good point. Good point. Yeah. On the other hand, <clears throat> as someone on Facebook constantly reminds me, I pulled a mouse out of my neck. There's that. Yeah. So, you know, created this tulpa based on this obsessive having seen a mouse and not being able to get my mind off it all day long. You know, right. felt it come out of my neck, run across my head, jump in front of me. I opened my eyes, startled and saw it 
fly or, you know, jump and disappear and dissolve into thin air before my eyes. Now, that felt real. It looked real. Sounded real. Wasn't real. (laughs) Yeah. What is that? So we can do that. At least I know personally. That's no good for anyone else. But I know personally we can do that. Could I have captured that on film? If Would I have known that that's what I was doing? If, you know, creating that, would I have known? I don't. I mean, it came out of my neck, so I guess in that right. sense I would. Right. Right. Uh, but I don't know. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. Um, I mean, look. I, I look. You can also look at it from the standpoint of what uh, Dave Roundtree had said about, you know, wormholes. These things are pinpointed. You know, what if they are? What if the anomalies are pinpoints of uh, a very isolated activity? And would you get more than? two or three people in a spot or could you, you know, I always remember that story that I saw when I was a kid about Gettysburg and the ghosts and, and the, you know, the phantom battalion walking out in the field. And, you know, this was seen by some kind of dignitaries or diplomats at the time who were touring the battlefield. And when they stopped in to tell, they really appreciate the reenactors out there, you know, marching through the field. They said, we don't know what you're talking about. There was no one out there. I mean, you think about how close these guys marched. Is it close enough that that's what it is? Or was this a projection or what? I mean, I, I don't – these are unanswerable questions right I mean, now. Where, where, you know, if, if they are looking into the future, mm-hmm. when we talk about aliens and stuff like that, a lot of times mm-hmm. we talk about, well, could they be us from the future? But no one's describing us from the future, little bug-eyed monster type thing. <laughs> right. I mean, there'd have to be a gross mutation or some sort of, uh, you know, suit that we don't understand. But mm-hmm. if George Washington, say, were seeing uh, a person from now, more than likely he's going to at some point run into an Adidas shirt or, you know, a Sean John, <laughs> right. you know, something that has words on it that he can jot down in a notebook and go, I don't know what this Adidas is, but it was on this queer mm-hmm. shirt of a fellow Right, yeah. Buy from around here or whatever. What does this Tron matter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where where is that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I got a new good answer for you there. Uh, I mean, certainly it should it, it, it should happen. I mean, I remember seeing, and don't ask me where, for Christ's sakes, I watched so many of these things on TV throughout the months that go by. There was, I think it was a battleship. That's what I want to say. I think it was a ship. And people had gone into the ship where it was hit by a torpedo. Now, this had all been repaired. But they saw off in a corner a man with one of the plates uplifted from the floor. He's down inside, and he's welding on a beam. And they see him. Tour groups have seen him. And he disappeared before their eyes, I mean, right in front of them. Uh, the whole scene just disappears. Uh, the hole is not there. The man is not there. The sparks from the arc welder aren't there, so on and so forth. And yet they go back in the ship's, you know, the ship's logs, and there is a report filed by a man who was a welder or a serviceman on the ship who said that he saw a group of people walk through the bay dressed in strange clothing. But that's all he got. So that's the only time I have ever heard anyone talk about, you know, the, the back and forth, the actual connection with the past and the past seeing you, and then there being some kind of written documentation of them seeing this. 
Um, I don't know. I, I found the thing about George Washington being seen at, at the battle. Um, that that kind of, if, if anybody listened to last week's show, I mean, that's something that we talked about a little bit with uh, David Clark um, when we were talking about the Angel of Mons, where you've got these soldiers in World War I being rescued by these angels. Uh, that was a strictly fictional tale, but because it was published, it took off. And they became part of folklore. It became something everybody accepted to the point where they actually had a serviceman who, you know, attested to seeing these angels. I mean, how, uh, how different to me is that the Union soldier saw the first president, you know, and with that, like George is with us, you know, I mean, freedom and all of that and democracy and. Uh, a, a unified nation. So, I mean, it stands to reason that that may have been as well a a fictional story or something that you know bolstered or 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 gave uh, hope or peace to these guys or something like that. I mean, it, it stands to reason that's the same kind of thing. So, we got to even question the old ghost reports when it comes to that kind of stuff. I just I wonder if uh, if it's true that there's scenes of history or something recorded in the rock or recorded in somehow in the earth elements in the area, um, Mm. then would the interaction be that, that we're through our intention interacting with that recording? So it's not that we're pulling out of our imagination, something to see it's that we're pulling from the files. We're pressing on, on the tape recorder uh, on some random spot. I mean, could, could that Mm. be it? Uh, but you would, again, you would still at least expect, the random spot every now and then to be uh, an actual battle scene, you know, on your EVP or something mm-hmm. on your film. Um, I mean, there's, there's always the, that one case where they talk about, um, I, I want to say it was Gettysburg college of some sort, but I'm not sure where, and you guys listening, you've probably seen this on TV cause it's covered in just about every ghost documentary about Gettysburg where the women uh, got into an elevator pressed the first floor and ended up in the basement. And when the doors opened, it was a civil war hospital scene. Everything's going on. And they were acknowledged by one of the surgeons tending to an amputation. And he waved them to come over. Uh, they of course didn't move the door shut and, uh, and they went back up and it was not there. I mean, they both saw it independently. Um, but when they when they got off the elevator, of course, it wasn't there. When they went back down the basement, the basement was the basement. Hmm. So I don't know. You get those every once in a while. Um, maybe there's just another, like the Phantom Battalion, you know. Maybe this is the, a job for another computer analogy, since we we love those these days. Mm. Uh, which is junk data. You know, mm. you, every now and then you get like a spam message. It's just a bunch of letters and it's nonsense. And you don't know yeah. why are there letters and nonsense in this email? You know, maybe it's They're just con- something like that where it's junk DNA, junk data, junk memory, <laughs> leftover yeah. bits and shards that sort of come together for some reason in these areas. Well, I mean, I always look at it from the standpoint of like an earthquake. It's like, is there a pressure that builds up on either a traumatic event that has taken place in the past? Is it something like that that builds up and builds up like a pressure cooker? And if you're in the right spot, when the pressure cooker blows its top, you see something or you hear something or you experience something, you get something on tape. 
Is that what it is? It's a, is it a gradual buildup? And if so, is it a gradual buildup from energy expounded 200 years ago, uh, or is it the intentions and the buildup of people who are visiting this historical place or this haunted house or something like that that is building up to a manifestation of some sort that then plays out uh, right in front of you? I mean, I, I, who knows? Who knows? I just can't wait for the Google Earth images to show ghosts at some point. <laughs> I wonder if there are like secret, you know, the spy satellites are like, we can see a basketball on the ground. We can capture a penny. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. I wonder if they ever hover over these areas and capture, you know, battle scenes or something, extra people I mean, that aren't there. You know what I'm going to search for in, um, in the ghost world is, is there anyone researching the beaches of Normandy? Or right. Dachau, or Auschwitz. Well, I think I'm a genius with you the Lebray tar pit. I really do. Like, I think you should go there and start aiming your camera and your intentions, and try to capture a freaking dinosaur, or a woolly <laughs> mammoth, or some, or a well, caveman. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, uh, I think the only thing I would say about a dinosaur is it's a lizard, <laughs> and so is it a prerequisite that you have to have? some sort of, you know, human mind for things to come back or to hold on or to make an impression. I don't know. Or I not. remember asking, I think it was Mark Nesbitt who said that people get animals. Mm, yeah. Their yeah. dog and their cat or whatever. But then yeah. again, that's something that's associated with you or with a human. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. But either way, I mean, when you're talking about even Berlin, Germany, I mean, that place was bombed as shit. When the Russians rolled into Berlin at the end of the war, they killed everybody. Nobody was exempt. And uh, you would think, this has got to be one of the most haunted places in the world. And yet I never hear anything or never see anyone investigating ghosts in uh, you know, the horrifying concentration camps, Berlin, uh, Normandy. Uh, you know, you know, pick your blood-soaked spot, it, you know from World War II. And I'm curious, you know, does anybody have anything from that? Like photographic stuff or video or anything? I wouldn't uh, be surprised if there are people, you know, going down to the 9-11 World Trade Center spot with, you know, trying to get EVP there. Yeah, there I mean, are. that that's, and you know, all every horrifying place that you can think where something's happened like that, in terms of looking at Gettysburg, every place that's had that kind of horror should have some kind of activity. I mean, that seems to be the rule of thumb, right? So I, I'm curious. I'm going to do some looking around. And, and listeners, if you come across anybody, um, I, I'd be curious about World War II ghosts and that sort of thing and, and seeing who's really doing the work on that. I'm still curious why you aren't just doing stuff in your own house. I know we've had this conversation. I know we've had it on the air. But again, I keep coming back to this. You got a dude in a black shroud who comes and talks to you. <laughs> yeah. For everyone else on the planet, that's game over. That's what you want. You want to have a sit-down <laughs> chat with something. <laughs> uh-huh. And you've got this. And yet you're still going out into the fields looking for like EVP and photographs and stuff. Like, th- like this boggles my mind, this disconnect <sighs> you. Well, Explain yourself again, because I-, I keep forgetting what, what the explanation here is. I just I can't well, hear. Well, number one, as far as the guy in in you know in the shroud goes, I there's no time to think with that. I mean, or even the ball of light that's like knocking shit off your shelf. It's like why not try to EVP that? 
Well, I don't know that that was the ball of light. I mean, you saw the ball of light. We could easily set a camera up in the living room and have that shooting into that spot on the ceiling. Yeah, why that, haven't you? Yeah. Like, you'll go out to a field. Why haven't you done that? I, I don't know why I haven't done why it. Why won't with Scott the do that in his own house? Like, why? <laughs> you know why? And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like there's two reasons for me. Number one, reason one would be, and, and not the most important reason, but one of the reasons would be if I ever got any kind of visual proof at all, do you think people don't know what I do? So there's that. I mean, I feel like yeah. But if you were going to hoax be, something, you would have hoaxed something by now, and you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> but but the thing is, if I actually got it, like the light on the ceiling in the living room, you saw it. Lisa's seen it. I've seen it. You know, if I got that, if I got it, we three would know that it's there, and I got it. Everybody else looking at that would go, yeah, well, he could have faked that with After Effects, or he could have done that with this, or blah, blah, blah. You know, I question how, I question, for a while now, I've questioned the worth of visual data. Because um, it, it doesn't tell us anything more than how much do you trust this person to show you what they've got, and how solid is it, number one. But number two, it doesn't really tell us anything other than it adds to a growing body of things that are perceived and possibly caught on videotape, still photographs, etc. But with EVP, I mean, you've presented that on the show. Yeah. If we had gotten video at Mark Nesbitt's, you would have presented that. Yes. Um, so you have no problem presenting that data, so what, what's the difference? You're well, still, I think... It, you're still you. Yeah, yeah, but I think because you guys were there, you, Lisa, uh, Lisa number two, Jason, all these people were there. Um... And and I like to think that if I came up to you and said, hey, Jared, let's hoax something, <laughs> you know, you would go, no, or vice versa. You know, I mean, the problem is, again, with something like that, there's no telling. There was only us there. We were all together. We all know each other. At a certain point, the marginalization factor couples into all of this for me. Um, as to why I don't, you know, put a camera on the ceiling and let it run. I just get the feeling it wouldn't show up anyway. Hmm. Uh, I've tried to do that at the condo. And I did get something at the condo that was really unusual. You know, what's happened to that, you know, that tape, I have no clue. I probably could come across it. But by and large, it was a lot of wasted nights, a lot of wasted tape. Um, uh, most of what happens for me around here is so sudden that you really wouldn't have time to, to do anything with it. The stuff coming off the shelves and Eddie getting thrown up against the uh, display case, that was so shocking at the time. I was just like, I looked over and I'm like, are you joking? He slammed up against <laughs> the front of the case. I'm like, what is this? And so it was over before... You could even think about doing anything. Um, I have let the camera run in here on the live feed on Ustream. And, uh, and maybe it's time to do that again uh, for, for uh, you know, a few days and, and let it run. And I think we got more listeners now than we did way back then. Um, the only thing that anyone ever said to me about that was about 3 o'clock in the morning, there was a huge bang in the house, which... I don't hear. I've not heard. Um, 
but I'd be curious if it's still happening because I don't hear it. I don't know. It's the time and trouble it takes to set up a tripod and turn it on to aim it the right direction. Uh, and the other part is what I said to you last night on the phone. You let the camera run for eight hours. You got to sit there for eight hours and run through this tape. And I got shit to do. You know, I mean, that's. I think if you maybe if you set up anyway, the Ustream cam. I don't know why, but it seems like it's not worth it to me. You know what I mean? If you set up the Ustream cam and you have different people recording mm-hmm. all night or at different times. Like if have, I had help, each, I'd do it. Have yeah. each person, have eight people take one hour of those eight hours. That would be great. And run through it. You know. I I would do it. I mean, if and I would I would pull my share. I mean, I'd pull a few hours on it, but you know, I look at what we had to go through when we when we analyzed all the stuff out of Gettysburg. I mean, that was a long time sitting there looking at a hallway. <laughs> Ugh, you know, and I still haven't you, seen any of that footage. There's nothing to see. <laughs> I mean, really, there's nothing there aside from your very interesting reaction with a theremin. Um you know, that's that's interesting. I at least I found that interesting. Is it related to Gettysburg and the ghosts? No. It's related to you. <laughs> how, do you how do you know? <laughs> because, dude, when you're sitting there on the floor and you've got your hands doing all of these things and the theremin's dead silent, and the minute that you go well, you can't see this, listeners, but the minute that you put your hands out like this, and you're no closer to the theremin than you were before, and it starts making a noise. That's you. That's not that. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. you. And the rest of it, I mean, it's pretty much if Jason and Lisa had not told me where the EVP was of the kids, I would have spent hours going through all of the DVR recordings that night. Did you get that uh, on, on video audio as well or no? We got it on the, uh, the, the video camera that was in the stairwell at Mark's. Right. On, at the same time, correlated with the DVR recording that Lisa and Jason got in the green room. So, yeah, we got it in two spots, which is great. Um, of course, we did not hear it upstairs. Is and it as soon as I loud can, on both? No, it's a little more distant on the stairwell recording. But you can definitely still hear it. It's not, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not indecipherable, but that, that, that's what it is. Um, but it's a lot more obvious on their recording in the green room. Because they said it sounded like it was coming from what was the oldest part of the house all the way in the back. So um, I think that it's the trouble of going through all of that stuff. And once you get started, I mean, I know from going to Gettysburg for, you know, weekends straight last summer, practically every other weekend and sometimes weekend to weekend, um, you know, going through audio, you hate to get it and not go through it. But at the same time, when you're going through it, it's like, Jesus Christ, come on. <laughs> you know, I, I got to move the grass. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I got I, I a base to get built. I got, you know, guitars to paint. It's like, you know, I, I got stuff I got to get done. And, and there's still, uh, I would say, five or six EVP sessions that I did up in Gettysburg. I think the last time you and I went that I haven't listened to yet. It's just the time that it takes to sit down and really go through it because you don't want to miss something if there's something really good there. Um, you know, but I, I, I would like to do something with the house. I would like to do to have people come here and record your own stuff here. I don't care. You know, anybody is always welcome to come here and do a ghost stakeout for the night if they want. That's an open invitation. Um, 
you know, I, I just, in daily life, there just doesn't seem to be enough hours for me to go through hours and hours of tape alone. So that's another part of the problem. I would love to ask Teokas and Ghost Horse if what he hears about these hauntings uh, meshes with what he knows or, you know, believes about uh, the ancients or, or his own people, even beings, you know, surrounding you. Being um, here, living here, I mean, is, is that what he's talking about? The same sort of odd bits and ends, or do they have a completely different relationship with the other side? Uh, I would love to know what he thinks of ghost stories, just in general, when he hears them. And, and do they perceive it completely different as well? I mean, you know, do they have a totally different perception of it when they see it? I mean, as opposed to us, of course, they're not, the, the fear factor for them is not there. Right. But because they're so open and they, because they have, and I think I'm right in saying this, that they have kind of a, uh, an innocence about the way that they view the world, uh, a purity uh, is a better word, I guess, um, that such things just are and always have been, you know, do they have a completely different perception of it than we would get this fleeting glimpse and go, oh. Do they have a completely different experience with that? That would be a curious question to have ask him. And so we shall. Yes. Yes. But just not right now. For now is the ending of our show, Jeff Ritzman. The ending of our show. Really? Yeah. <laughs> We're done, huh? Oh, you had a long wow. show. <laughs> it was a good show. I enjoyed it. I really did. It was interesting. I wish I could it add was. more. I wish I had... Uh, you know, a knowledge base to draw upon. <laughs> well, we're learning. I mean, we're well, learning. Instead, I mean, I've, got I- the, I've got the equivalent of, could it be angels? I've got the Lebray Tarsic <laughs> questions. <laughs> could, could you get dinosaurs with that camera? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about it either. It's just, you know, it, it's, um, it's fascinating to me. And, and I think it's in, in many ways, it's a lot more fascinating than the UFO thing is to me. That, I, I would like to go on more ghost stuff. I would like to do more with that. But, you know, it's always a matter of time and travel and all of that kind of stuff to get to these places. And then there's permissions to be asked. So, but Gettysburg is always an, an open door. So that's why I go there so much. You know, I think there's a lot going on there. And, uh, and the more you go, the more you learn, the more opportunity you have to see something. So, well, like I said, you don't, you don't catch a, a fish unless you drop your hook in the water. So. Between Mark Nesbitt and the Midwest Research Group and now Mr. Scott Crownover, I think we should build a mighty, mighty Justice League posse <laughs> and go down there and, and uh, yeah. see what's what. That'd be, that'd take, be interesting. Take some listeners with us, yeah, to do it. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Very good. Well, uh, that's it. That's all I got. You got anything else? No, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Everybody have a great weekend. Yes, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye now.